This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 175. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I'm Lamriyasha, and we are close enough for a Koshimanj by talking about a series not written by him, but related to MHA, one of its many spinoffs, and that is the gag comedy manga spinoff. My Hero Academia is back for Hirokumi Neta, who is one of her working assistants, later graduated to doing this spinoff manga that ran for a good many years, and we had a good time chatting about what works, what doesn't work about gag comedy manga generally, and how MHA Smash kind of finds its own voice and niche as it goes along, and we had a great conversation about it with... Hosts of two different My Academia podcasts, Kendra from the My Academia podcast, as well as Luke from the Hero Notes podcast. So it was a really great conversation about the series with them, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as you will hear in the discussion, I started off uh, really not liking this thing, but the further I went on, uh, the more I liked it and the more I liked uh, talking about it with both Kendra and Luke. I actually, uh, I think I say this in the discussion too, but I was really afraid this was going to be a lot of like, well, I thought this was funny. Well, I thought this wasn't funny. Like, and we do talk about like our favorite strips and our definitely our least favorite strips, but I think we actually did a pretty good job of like breaking down like what works about My Hero Academia Smash as like a comedy spinoff thing, you know, from My Hero Academia and whatnot. And I had a lot of fun with the conversation and I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, so you may have uh, noticed Lum mentioned that this is going to be the last podcast as a part of our Kohei Horikoshi month. And, uh, I do want to put this out there because we do mention it during the discussion, but uh, we were originally going to end off Kohei Horikoshi Month with talking about uh, the first volume of My Hero Academia team-up missions with uh, with two extra special guests. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to postpone that for a bit. Uh, life kind of got in the way for at least one of our guests, and so we basically decided that uh, we're going to come back around the team-up missions uh, specifically when Volume 2 comes out next year. Um, so we are postponing that for now, but uh, we just wanted to put it out there that uh, we didn't completely cancel our plans to talk about team-up missions. We're just going to postpone that and move that over to next year when Volume 2 is coming out. So it, it will, it, we will record that eventually, but unfortunately we won't be able to cap off Horikoshi Month with it. But um, with that being said, you know, look forward to us talking about team-up missions I think it's pretty cool so far, and I can't wait to read more of it. But uh, yeah, um, I guess with this being the end of Kohei Rikoshi Month, I just want to say real quick, uh, I really hope you guys have been enjoying these podcasts. It's been a real trip going over Kohei Horikoshi's early manga and getting to talk even more about My Hero Academia than we already have. Um, and yeah, th- this was this was really cool, and I hope we can maybe continue with doing more theme months here and there. Maybe even next month, we might mention that later at the at the end of the show. Maybe um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's uh, we we have a lot of ideas for like different theme months like this. We would love to do in the future, and so yeah, if you enjoyed this sort of themed month of podcasts, uh, look forward to more stuff like this. I I, I think I think we're gonna try to do this a bit more in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess, um, I guess with all that out of the way, we might as well get into a smashing conversation. Get it? That was a joke. Yes. Smash that play button. Our My Hero Academia Smash episode is coming up right now. Get ready for more goofs and laughs, just like that one. Mm-hmm. 
we're here to talk about My Hero Academia Smash, a spinoff uh, for Coma gag manga based off of My Hero Academia. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely have thoughts, but uh, I think we should just go ahead and start off that I'm really already messing up. I'll edit around this. But all right. Well, I- hey, I mean, <laughs> this manga is basically a series of bloopers. Oh, we are a blooper right now. I, I guess it is, yeah. So you messing up, making mistakes? Yeah, that's the blooper oh, right goodness. there. Blooper, you can keep it. <gasps> We're in yeah. a four coma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Isekai has trapped oh, us no. in a FaceTime paradox state of like time never moving we are just doomed to repeat same things all over again without ever growing older and no chance of escape that that we're not kidding that is the thing that actually happens <laughs> um but here we, we should really introduce our guests uh first off i want to introduce uh i'm gonna i'm gonna say friend of the show we've we've put on their show a couple times uh kendra from the my hero academia podcast how's it going kendra Good, hello, hello. I just, like, raised my hands. I'm like, wait, they can't see me. I am here! (laughs) (laughs) All right. And also with us is uh, Luke from the Hero Notes podcast, also a My Hero Academia podcast, and also from the uh, Weird Science Anime and Manga podcast. How's it going, bud? Yes, lots of podcasts. We're not friends at all, Colton. Jeez, we're not allowed to talk. (laughs) Bitter rivals, man. You know, I know how we can become friends. You came over to our house and you can watch us play a single player video game. That's the best way to deepen our friendship. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very calming after 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 a hard day of uh, of being a hero. D- doesn't it calm you down just watch me play video games? <sighs> Absolutely. It's, I, I like I like that he's basically suggesting like a live act like, like a live let's play. <laughs> well, it's funny. That's what I would do with my brothers. I would just watch them play video games. It was literally like a TV show. Like that's not how I grew up with Zelda. I just watched them play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, here uh, we we are here to talk about my Hero Academia Smash and uh, yeah, yeah. It was um. I'll, I'll save my thoughts for later because I, I want to kind of get into like, um, I mean, I guess we were kind of talking about this off mic. I don't know if we really, I, I guess we, we could just say I'm pretty safe to assume we're all pretty big My Hero Academia fans here. We all love the series. Yes. Couldn't mm-hmm. tell, uh, which is why we bothered with the spinoff in the first place. Um, and also, this is a part of our Kohei Horikoshi month because we had to, we had to talk about something to fill out the month. That's a little disingenuous. So the idea behind covering this spinoff and then the other spinoff, the team-up missions. Well, originally we did want to cover Vigilantes as kind of like, you know, that's more of a traditional like narrative story. But of course it did not end in time. However, we figured if we were going to do like a Koi or a Koshimon, we might as well go to all the way and we can cover these other spinoffs. And this... Smash spinoff is over. It's a complete work, so it would be an interesting one to do a retrospective on. Mm-hmm. And I think there definitely is things to say about it, even if it is just a, you know, silly parody comic. There's certainly a lens in which you can look at, okay, what is the author's relationship to Horikoshi and My Academia? How does that come across in how they write the jokes, how they reinterpret the characters? So... I do think we're going to have some interesting points of discussion beyond just, 
oh, this was funny, this was not funny. Mm. Now, uh, before we even get into that, though, we do want to ask you guys, Luke and Kendrick, kind of your relationship with My Academia and specifically with this spinoff. And Luke, I know that you have read this spinoff before. You're a fan of it. Uh, you have foreign editions Oh, my goodness. It. Why don't you go into your <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I like this spinoff, but without My Hero Academia in general, probably, I wouldn't be even reading any manga or anime to begin with. That was my starting off point. Um, oh, I wow. remember picking it up. Uh, mm. There was, like, a digital sale uh, for, like, Comixology. And I remember, I because I was already into, like, superheroes, like, comic books and that. I figured, well, you know, this is a superhero manga, so, like, adjacent, but, like, still on the right track, so I give that a go. And this was before even we had the Shonen Jump app. This was back when it was, like, they were still doing the weekly Shonen Jump, like, digital editions. So this was before all of that. Uh, so I tried the... I, I tell you, I was hooked. I was hooked on volume one. I pretty much, like, I picked up everything at that sale, and then I was like, I'm in, you know, and then from there, just all the volumes I could get my hands on, and then eventually when the Shonen Jump app hit, uh, and that's another thing we can point out as well, this is all available on the Shonen Jump app, uh, which makes it like a very easy access for My Hero Academia fans to try this out, and I would recommend trying it out there, but I think, yeah, like, from all, like, right from there, and then all the spin-offs with My Hero Academia, it's been so good, because we've had all the spin-offs translated. We've been lucky enough to get all the, like, English adaptations of Vigilantes, Smash, even even the light novels of all things. You know, we hardly ever get light novels. But uh, uh, from there, I... And team-up missions, too. Yeah, and I've just, like, I've fallen head first into the rabbit hole. Uh, and I've even <laughs> got the Italian version that I picked up because that was before uh, the English version came out. And I was like, well, I better pick up the Italian version when I was on holidays because there's no chance we're going to get this in English. And then about six months later, <laughs> oh, it's getting an English adaptation. Whoopsie doopsie. You know, so uh, if anybody can translate Italian, you can come over to my house. But, uh, <laughs> like, do you speak Italian? <laughs> Well, I, I, I didn't know we had the world's biggest My Hero Academia Smash oh fan on the goodness. podcast. I don't mean to chew my own heart, but I, I guess knew that. I'm invited. There you go. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it is a good point. Like, you wouldn't expect that this would get licensed uh, just up until a couple of years ago, because Viz usually does pass on these gag comedy spinoff manga. It is really telling of the strength of My Hero Academia as a franchise that they realize there's a huge demand for My Hero Academia comics and novels, just anything related to this franchise. So this spinoff, we gotta pick it up. And they picked it up and released it in 2019, so two years out from when it ended. So, I mean, that also is reflective of when MHA was really, really starting to explode in the North American market just a couple of years ago. Like, going from already a very high thing title to being a gangbusters, like, one of the best-selling comics, period, in North America. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we were kind of talking about it on a previous episode a while back, but uh, doesn't My Hero Academia Smash, in particular, uh, sell, like, just under 10k? Oh, wow. That's nuts. Yeah, it's very competitive, uh, it, alongside the rest of the My Hero franchise, like there were three volumes that made the top 50 isolating manga volumes of last year, according to the Comic Speed analysis wow. of uh, the market last year. Wow. So, yeah, no, the demand for My Hero is there, and that does translate to Smash also getting quite a few sales. 
Before Smash, uh, Naruto really is the only series that comes to mind where Wiz picked up a comedy spinoff. Uh, they they didn't do the Rock Lee one, but they did the so- Chibi Sasuke Sharingan Legend. Oh, I wish they would do the Rock Lee one because that was my favorite one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or as people on the internet like to call it, better Naruto. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> At least Tenten gets stuff to do in that. So you could say it's better she in did, that yeah. respect. Yeah. But Kendra, I mean, why don't you describe like your relationship with My Academia and did you have any prior experience with the spinoff? Mm. Um, for the My Hero, I got into it because of Tumblr. At first, I was seeing a lot of, like, Bakugo Deku fan art, and I was like, I think I was really into sports anime, so I was kind of like, oh, they're, like, the rivals or something, and they are. <laughs> and then I saw, like, a picture of Tokoyami, and it was still, like, really early, so like, oh, there's this, like, bird-headed guy who keeps appearing, and I was like, okay, I need to read this, there's a bird-headed guy, and it's weird. <laughs> and then I got, I got really into it. And then, so I didn't really read much of Smash until, like, you guys asked me, because I'd read, like, a bit, and I think I'd heard people's, like, summaries of the ending, and I was like what? So, like, when I was reading it now, I was like, wait, <laughs> I remember this. I just, like, erased it from my memory. It was just so weird. And I guess there's something that I thought was in Smash that wasn't, but there's a scene where, like, Ochiko talks to Bakugo and is like, oh, you're afraid of him. And I was convinced that was in Smash, but it's not. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's in. It's, I think it's in, like, some bonus thing or something, or... I don't know. I think, yeah, it's in so, yeah, some bonus... I Yeah, that rings a bell. I forget what it's from, though. Yeah, because yeah, it's the time I was ready to be the thing that I wish was in the main manga. But I was like, wait, it's not even it. But it was still like, it was really, really fun to read. And I don't know, I, I was reading it and I was like, oh, wait, it's over. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wanted to see them try to take on some of the current stuff. But I get it. But overall, good. It, it was a trip. Some parts I enjoyed. Some parts I was like, no, I don't want to yeah. my phone. <laughs> mm, yep. Uh, but we can get into that. Yeah. Here. SEDs tend to be, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag at some points. But I do agree, like, it is a generally pretty quick lead. These volumes are only about 120 pages. And the individual chapters are only about five pages. There are about two four-coma comic strips per page. So in a chapter, you'll get about ten comic strips. So overall, if you were to count out how many comic strips there are between these uh, chapters, it's about like 940-ish. Wow. So yeah, I mean, it's a pretty quick read, not something necessarily you'd want to binge read as, you know, most comic strips are. You just want to read maybe a chapter at a time, a couple pages at a time. But it does ultimately read quickly. I think that you can generally manage to finish the series well, within a couple hours, like if you pace yourself or even if you like just take your time to just reach through them at a, a measured pace and I'm trying to go very quick, you still and find yourself uh, getting to the finish line pretty fast there. Yeah, I, I think I think it took me like about a week to kind of finish these. Yeah, I just read it all again yesterday. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, mm. superhuman reading speed that I wish I had. What quirk is that? Oh my goodness. It's not really a superhuman reading speed. I, it's I superhuman to me. Your quirk is reading. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool, actually. No, really, it would be, especially if applied to, like, longer novels. Oh, yeah. Which mm-hmm. I want to read so much more of, but it's just so exhausting in thought. Yeah. To dedicate the time. There's an app called Blink for like nonfiction stuff that just shows stuff really fast. And I was like, I couldn't do that. My head would hurt. <laughs> no, yeah, I, no, I, I, I am not that, that level of a speed reader yeah. at all. 
So, yeah. Now, before we go to you, Colton, because I believe this is your first ex- time reading this uh, series, um, we won't describe, like, our backgrounds in my academic because we did that in our previous podcast on the series as a whole a few years ago, so you can revisit that. But my relationship to Smash was is that I... This was, I received the first volume as a review copy back when it came out two years ago. And I revote a review for it for all-comma.com. And you can read that review because as I reread the review, it was like, oh, yeah, everything I said about the series then, I still feel. I can basically read out what I wrote then on this podcast because I really got to the heart of it. But what I said at the time was that I recognized where the source of comedy was coming from. I recognized, like, there are things that was working about it, things that were not working about it. But ultimately, I found it a breezy read. I enjoyed my time with it well enough. And it definitely feels like a manga for MJ fans first. And it is a bit of a crude work, not just in the aesthetic, but also in some of the sense of humor. Oh, yeah. But there's definitely a lot there if you are a fan to take out of it because it is a lighter, breezier take on the MHA world. And if you just want kind of more slice of life, goofy and non-high stakes adventures with these characters just hanging out and goofing off with each other, this book provides you a lot of that enjoyable catharsis in a way that's appreciable, especially if you're reeling for some of the heavier stuff in... Uh, especially the recent chapters. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I reviewed this first volume and I didn't pursue reviewing future volumes because it got added to the vault and I didn't necessarily think I'd have anything more to build upon there. If I had continued reviewing the volumes, I would have probably honed in like, oh, this is an interesting reinterpretation of this character, or this sequence of events. These are new trends I'm noticing about the series as I continue to read it. But in general, top thoughts, uh, you can just revisit this earlier review of mine, and I think it's a good summary of uh, the series, and I'll definitely bring up and repeat some of those points here on this podcast. Now, Colton, we'll move on to you, because this was your first time reading this series for the show, I believe, and yep. you did not have a favorable first impression. Let's discuss that. And oh, see man. if your feelings have at least softened as you continue through it. Okay, so let me just take you on a journey for a little bit, because, uh, you know, uh, I don't think, I'm trying to remember, because uh, I, I don't remember if I, like, heard about the spinoff until, like, it got licensed or it was beforehand, but it was just one of those things where, like, I don't normally read stuff like this. Like, I'm not normally very interested in, like, spinoff for comic gag manga type things, just because I'm just, I'm just not usually very interested in those. It's just not usually my thing, but... When I saw that we were going to you know, talk about it for the show, I was like, OK, you know, like, I'm, I'm sure it'll probably be at least fine. Like, uh, there might be some good laughs here and there. It'll it, it'll be what I like to call a good toilet read where it's the, <laughs> it's the perfect thing to read while you're using the bathroom. <laughs> that's the wow. perfect summary. <laughs> and, th- and that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, yeah. I, I like comics that I can read on the bathroom because it's, it's most comic strips are like that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, on the toilet is one of the best place to read comics, but that's just (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I will not lie. uh, After I read the first volume of this, um, 
I, I think I said in our personal Discord that uh, at the time, I felt like this was one of the worst things I ever read for the show. Wow. <laughs> it's mostly because I, and don't get me wrong, there are like a few funny strips in that first volume. Like, it's not completely devoid of humor or anything, but like, uh, I don't know, like, even when the strips got a little better as they went on and as I kind of softened on on everything, like, I, I think the first volume really kind of turned me off just because, like, I mean, again... It gets better as it goes on, but there are some, like, kind of gross stuff in here that I don't think is very funny. Like, for example, when uh, they they try to parody the moment where All Might gives his strand of hair to Deku to pass on his powers. And then All Might's like, oh, I could give you, like, nail clippings or earwax or boogers or I could kiss you. And I'm just like, can we maybe not do stuff like that, please? I'm not into that. I don't, yeah, that's fair. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to think about a possibly 40 to 60 year old man kissing a teenager. Like that's just, I just, I just didn't think it was very funny, but, but that's just me personally. And then, you know, besides that, like when the series wasn't doing like weird strips like that, it was just like a whole lot of nothing to me. Like I very, very, very rarely laughed throughout that first volume. Like it just wasn't doing anything for me personally um but like i said like as the series goes on i do think it gets better like i think my thing personally with at least the beginning of this series is um i i think it was like you were saying like i think i liked it better when like it kind of veered away from just being a parody of the original series and started to do its own things with the characters you know Mm -hmm. yeah and actually starting to put them in like you know, unique original like situations or whatever. I think that's when it's at its best. And even then, like, you know, like I started to like it a little bit more. But overall, it's like you said, like, yeah, this is a very mixed bag. Like not every strip's going to do it, you know. But, um, you know, I there, there were some funny strips in here and I'm sure we'll talk about like our favorites here and there. But like, again, I, I started off really, really like being turned off by this. Uh, but I'm I'm glad to say that like again it gets better as it goes on and there there were there were more strips that I liked um, and I didn't like 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 the humor didn't slide off of me as much as it does as it does in the beginning so that's just me yeah I think that's very fair yeah and like some of the Mineta gags like because even in the main manga I like didn't oh like Mineta slowly came around still iffy but then in here I'm just like oh my god I actually want him to die. Yeah, I mean. it was so like, it, like there was one legit one where it was just straight up just a four comma one that was just a transphobe joke and I was just like yeah I didn't like that either fu- sorry like what the hell is this but yeah it's yeah. really the worst of Mineta some of the Endeavor stuff as well can get a bit dodgy yeah I don't know, some I I like some of the reframing of the Endeavor stuff but there was like one where Deku is making innuendos about Endeavor and Todoroki's relation that was like this is kind of weird. But <laughs> or like, I, know, also, yeah. I know the idea is that Endeavor is annoyed that Deku is doing this, so it didn't bother me as yeah. much. But yeah, the Mineta stuff is, yeah, really uh, just plays into some of the worst humor in the original series with that character in terms of pervy humor. I appreciate in some extent that Mineta does 
you know, get called out as like a character no one likes in the series. There's a strip at one point where everyone is trying to like, you know, get him convicted or and thrown out and whatever. And they're pointing out that like only the half of the male classmates tolerate him a even slimmer, like barely a sliver of the female classmates appreciate him. Or it's like, who tried to kill him? And it's like, everyone has a motive on the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think though that's the thing because uh, in one of the like in the in the volume they do profiles for all the characters and uh, the mangaka uh, Hirofumi Neda he pretty much says that they're all obviously they're all caricatures uh, but like it, it's pretty much it, it, like in the main series if Izuku is a fanboy then here he is like 110% fanboy like everything is dialed up to 11 so unfortunately that works for like the good aspects and the bad like Mineta you know so mm, if Mineta yeah. is somewhat tolerable in the main series here it's insufferable you know what I mean yeah. oh yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I feel like a lot of what Mineta does unfortunately is not even that much more extreme than what we see and have heard him say in the original mm-hmm. I feel that Neta and Horikoshi kind of have similar tastes in humor when it comes to the perviness of that character or pervert comedy jokes uh, in terms of making fun of characters like that or using characters like that. So I think what, you know, makes it stand out more in Smash, though, is that we have a bigger concentration of them in these volumes. And because of the nature of it as, like, more of a gag comedy, Mineta is around more than he is in the main series where we have a lot more time away from him uh, and more serious arcs. So that kind of is an issue. Uh, I do appreciate a lot of the violence thrown at Mineta, though. <laughs> uh, there's a moment where, like, people are to beat him so hard that literally one of his eyeballs have popped out of his skull. Oh, no. oh, uh, when the Setsuban chapter, like, in the opening panel, like, I guess Bakugo has hit him with a baseball bat, and you just see him lying in a pool of blood with Setsuban beans, like, scattered around him. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the whole chapter where it seems like the meta was... Uh, there was an attempted murder attempt on Mineta, and everyone's trying to figure out, like, who did it. And yeah, he is definitely in a gruesome shape there, and that's definitely a just desserts thing, because the choice at the end of the chapter was that he was trying to steal panties or whatever, he just fell off the roof. So, yeah, I appreciate at least that there's more shade thrown to the fact that this is a character that no one likes, mm-hmm. and he gets that violent crime punishment. However, that doesn't excuse the fact that the series still indulges in this perfect comedy with Mineta that is still not really in great taste. And yeah. kind of like it's it is the worst aspects of that character just on full view all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like a good example of this is uh, a, again, a, a, a joke used in the strips here. That's kind of just taken from the main series um, is when, um, uh, is during those strips where like Tokoyami's dark shadow turns into like a little girl and Mineta for some reason is into that and is like, man, <laughs> I-, I wonder what you'd be like in 10 years. And it's like, gross. Oh, it's that same. Like he literally makes the yeah, same, same joke in the main series. And it's, yeah. it's, it's easily like the worst moment in the entire series. You know, I mean, they really take hold of the idea that Mineta is a cradle to grave, quote unquote. <laughs> 
pervert. <laughs> like even earlier in the series, like he had make comments like that when he's when he has infatuation for recovery girl or whatnot, he makes that comment to Kaminari or something. So, yeah, they really run with that characterization, unfortunately. Run it into the ground. And yeah, even like, sure he's do. like, oh, don't come along with me. I won't do anything nasty to you. And it's like, oh, my God. No, I don't like, know. stop. <laughs> stop. Stop talking. But at least, like, with Recovery Girl, it's kind of, like, equal opportunity or just not being, like, horrified that older people exist. <laughs> Sanji. Mm. <laughs> See, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. I wasn't really too into those either where it's like... Yeah. Yeah, it's still an age gap yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I don't like any of it really, but I'm just like... I will point out one strip that I actually like with Minetta. One that I think actually gave me the biggest laugh, surprisingly enough, um, where uh, they're doing the... Um, uh, was it? The, the comedy training and Minetta goes up and basically takes his sticky balls... And does like a skit with them, and then literally all Mike goes, "Okay, you're expelled." <laughs> yeah, that was a good one that plays off people's contempt and lack of patience for Minetta. Yeah, weirdly enough, that was the one that like got the most like audible laugh from me. Actually, <laughs> mm-hmm. I do also appreciate the chapter where Minetta is trying to become a more likable, popular person, and then he's doing all these attempts that are ultimately just making people dislike him more, and then they give him, like, this ridiculous costume or whatever. And, of course, that doesn't work. So Mm -hmm. that one had a good idea behind it. And, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, though, Mineta is one of the least exaggerated characters from the original series. It's just, like, we're just seeing the worst aspects of him more and given more opportunities to see that. So I think that's just interestingly reflective of how Neta and Horikoshi's sensibilities when it comes to pervert comedy gags are very similar, which may be Neta's sense of humor rubbed on him, or they just both have always shared that kind of sense of humor. Because it is worth noting Neta has been working with Horikoshi for a good chunk of his career. He was an assistant to him on Omakadoki Zoo and on MHA. And they seem to know each other pretty well, know each other's, like, sensibilities pretty well. There is, like, kind of a short scribbly comic in the back of volume one where, like, it's a Neta and me comic by Korokoshi where basically he just tells Neta that his dirty jokes tend to cross the line so he should watch himself. So they have some rapport with each other. They they understand each other's senses of humor, I think. I think that translates in... MHA Smash, and which we can see, yeah, like, Neta has his own interpretations of certain characters, but it definitely feels like a loving tribute to them and to Horikoshi, who is, as also described in the Horikoshi and Me comics, like, someone who he feels like he owes a great deal of debt to as, like, a friend, and, you know, now someone he's also, like, kind of been working with, and now doing a kind of spin-off work on, so... I think that's an interesting aspect. And those continue the whole way through, like, that Horikoshi and me continues all the way up to Volume 5. And I think it's it's quite touching, because you do also get, uh, in the volumes, you get the Horikoshi sketches. Because Horikoshi kind of does, uh, for Vigilante, for all the spin-offs, for Vigilantes, for uh, team-up missions, uh, and school briefs as well, you do... Um, he has these little, like, sketches that he does, and, like, he leaves author comments. So you kind of get, like, the back and forth as it progresses between, and, like, you know, it starts picking up, uh, like, the back and forth between, like, former assistant and then Horikoshi. So that was, that was pretty nice to see that, you know? 
Hmm. Well, that's nice. Yeah, you get a clear sense that they have a relationship with each other, a rapport. That's reflected in, I think, the comedy and the work. And I think it's also reflected in, you know, again, I, I think that the series is meant as a loving tribute to MHA. And so even like, you know, parodies of characters that portray him in a more comical or disparaging like, I think is meant to be, oh, a playful rib on Horikoshi and his writing and just in jokes and uh, between Neta and Horikoshi and their shared understanding of each other and their senses of humor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the kind of cool things I like is the kind of take on Ochiko where she's like a jock. <laughs> yes! I really appreciated that. <laughs> that baseball yeah. chapter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the baseball chapter is great, then the soccer chapter yes. later. <laughs> oh, yeah, the baseball chapter was so fun. I, I really did love the ending gag of that, where it's like Ochaku just got so into the game that even as the pitcher, like she's just very happy seeing her pitch get hit up into the sky, <laughs> and she's like, "Man, now this is what it's all about." But then Sarah catches it with a tape. <laughs> they win the game, but even though they won, Ochaku's like, "No, this isn't what I wanted." That was really funny. I think Ochaku had a, got a lot of good opportunity to show off her personality in a fun ways here. I like the frugalness of her character too. Mm. <laughs> or she's like, my lifestyle is a punishment to, or like training for, uh, yeah, you're Rosie. Yeah. I loved her comment there. Yeah. It's like, wow. Glad I could use my property to help you. This isn't defensive at all. <laughs> <laughs> There. Yeah, great. it was really good. And at the end of that chapter, with Yayorozu like kind of learning how Achako lives, and Yayorozu is telling Achako, "Hey, thank you for helping me. Like now, I feel more confident, motivated." And Achako's like, Wait, "How did I help you? <laughs> you just learned that being poor sucks. You just learned that that uh, like this food tastes better if you have more stuff in it. Like what? <laughs> is it just a classic thing that you learned Aww. that oh, the grass is green on the other side? I like Ochaku ripping Yayorozu there." That was very enjoyable. Yeah. And also just like the more focus that Yagaro's kind of like insecurity gets in Smash. Yeah. Mm. I think that was clever too. A lot of the time it's played for gags, but you still like, in a certain extent, and for a lot of the characters really, um, it gives them a chance to shine that has, they've kind of been neglected in some ways in the main series. Yagaro's is one where, you know, she's kind of, she has her moments, but... Really, and although it's played for comedy, a lot of the times I, I'm a big Yayoi Rosie fan, and I did appreciate her getting the spotlight a lot of the times in this volume, even if a lot of the times it was the butt of the joke, you know, she still had her moments, so I was like, bless up, you love to see it, you know? Yeah, you get to see a lot more of the class. Yeah, it's interesting, even though these are parody versions of the character, some of them do actually have their own arcs or reflections of arcs in this comic. And Yagyozu is one where we see that she is struggling with her confidence issues. In Smash, it's shown in even more comedian exaggerated ways. Like, there's a moment where old Dr. Cosby discovers she is taking these self-help books, which are all about, like, her submitting to a higher power, or <laughs> God or Gaia and whatnot. And then, yeah, that culminates with these Ochiko chapters where the lesson she learns is, like, just to not overthink what she's doing. Like, there's this moment where she has completely started to emulate Ochika's lifestyle. And so there's a point where both she and Ochika have dropped, like, a napkin or something. And, like, Kaminari or whatever picks it up and gives it back to them. And they both say, like, okay, thanks. And that makes Yoyoros realize, oh, I just instinctively just, like, 
said things and I didn't feel apologetic or bad for inconveniencing someone. And so, yeah, I appreciate it. Like, even through this, like, comedy parody, we could see, like, a way in which Yayorozu learns to become more confident in himself and not, like, overthink and let her anxieties get the best of her. So I appreciate that. I see this is kind of the things that I, I like seeing is how Neta will reinterpret a character in his own way and, like, exaggerate their quirks uh, through a different lens of how you can think of the character or just exaggerate their personalities up to an extreme but then you know because he has an understanding of the character and what their emotional journey or what their arc is in the main series he can reframe their character arc in the series in a fun way and i think yai rose is a great example of that mm. and even like bakugo it's like instead of getting saved, he just wins a game of life against the villains. <laughs> oh, that's another great example. I love the League of Villains chapters. Yeah. Like we just see more of them just hanging out. It is demon. really good. Like they randomly climb a mountain and they get mad at Spinner and teleport him. And I do want to point out there's a panel when, uh, what, oh, Shigaraki talks about how he doesn't want grated yams, and I was like, oh my god, yes, grated yams are slime, and they're evil! <laughs> so it just made me, like, cause, like, cause it, it's like, I think it might be, like, a stereotypical climb the mountain, and then you eat, like, food at, like, a restaurant there, but it was, I don't know, it was just very funny to me to see, like, a bit more of the villains, and also grated yam is the grossest thing you'll ever see in your life, do not eat it by itself. Yeah, no, I really appreciated those Leland chapters, because they're framed around Kurogiri as Shigurai's mentor is trying to get him to be more sociable and have more fun but Shigaraki's such a brat that like he's so mean to Kurogiri even though he's trying to help him and then Shigaraki also even though he needs to you know accumulate like the League of Villains or whatever like he's just such a jerk to them and even though, like, he wants to try and make friends, his ideas of how to do that are just so antisocial and selfish. Like, yeah, like we mentioned before, hey, you can watch me play video games. That'll be fun for you. <laughs> and then, like, when they're playing the game where you make someone, like, do a dare or whatever, like, when he, like, is the one that issued a command, it's like, okay, uh, numbers one and three die. And <laughs> so it's like, wait. And, yeah, Kurgiri's like, wait, that'd be fun for you. And Chigarazi said, yes, it would be fun for you if they die. But, oh, wait, if they die, then I wouldn't have any subordinates in my league. Ah, oh, man. So I like the exaggeration of Shigaraki's childishness and selfishness here in Smash. Uh, and there is, like, a, sorry, a cute moment when he, like, bonds with Bakugo because they infiltrate the school for some reason. And, like, he's paired with Deku and he just hates him. Yeah. And so Bakugo attacks him and he's like, yeah, Kuma! Oh, yeah, I love the chapter where they just do a school tour visit. Like, they just buy <laughs> so tickets good. and then go to the school. <laughs> and, yeah, like, that's how Shigaraki feels like, oh, I really respond to Bakugo and his hatred of Deku. And then later when they kidnap Bakugo in this version, yeah, they're like, <laughs> Shigaraki's motivation is, hey, will you be my buddy? <laughs> and then it's like he's trying to be friends with Bakugo and last week before, like, they play the game of life and whatever. And Bakugo's really good at it, but he's good at it in, like, a mundane way and how he wins. And uh, it's a Shigaraki. I, I think one of the funniest parts I laughed during that chapter was when like they were trying to feed Bakugo the soup and like Shigaraki was like 
here comes the train or something. Like he was try- literally babying Bakugo <laughs> and like trying to spoon feed him the soup. So yeah, I like his like ill thought attempts to try and be friendly. I think that was another example of an enjoyable reinterpretation of character and character relationships uh, with the League of Villains and Shigaraki. Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, I just want to say about Shigaraki, going back to the mountain climbing thing, uh, I I weirdly related to Shigaraki how, like, he's just just so fucking tired of hiking. He gets all irritable and his eyes start bugging out. Like, honestly, I'd be be the same way if I had to go on a hike. Like, that's just too relatable. And again, I like how he expresses his vindictiveness in this version. Because when Spinner is like, oh, hiking's not a big deal. He orders Kurgur to send him to Mount Fuji as a punishment. But then that backfires because Spinner enjoys Mount Fuji because he ends up at a tourist spot and ends up making friends or whatever. And Chigger is like, he said, ah, man, no, I'm never going hiking again. When he sees the photo that Spinner sends him of him and his newfound hiking friends. I do just want to say, like, um... You know, especially when I was first, like, reading these or whatever, uh, as down as I was on them in the beginning, um, not a lot of these, like, made me laugh out loud or anything. But, like, I, I feel like there are more strips that I think are just kind of cute and are just kind of yeah. like, mm. spending time with the characters or whatever. Like, I think yeah. I think one of my favorite early ones is uh, when they're still kind of doing parodies of the series and they're parodying the moment where basically the alarm gets tripped at the school and everybody's like trying to bustle out of the cafeteria. And then you have the moment where Ida places himself above the exit sign to try to like control the situation. And I really like how at the end, like that kind of like becomes a meme around the school. <laughs> like, they just start doing the Ida pose. Like I, I, I like stuff like that personally. Mm, yeah. Ida's another great example of a character whose idiosyncrasies are exaggerated. Mm-hmm, like I, mm-hmm. in this version, like his strictness, and like his desire for things to be orally is twisted into him also needing like approval from other people or like him like really getting caught in the weeds of like people praising him and that distracting him so there are these thoughts where like he's thinking to himself like oh people are praising me for doing a good job and that leads him to make a mistake or whatever and that's a trend that continues on forward to the point where Ida you know, the characterization of it is that, like, yeah, like, he's a strictly person, but then he also gets super hung up on this need for validation. So I, I appreciate that reframing of the character, too. I think my favorite stuff with him in particular is around when um, everybody starts getting into gotcha games. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha games, and then it gets to a point where, like, it looks like he's so addicted that they, like, have to help him. And then it t- all turns out to be, like, this plan to, like, try to teach him a lesson. And as much as I liked those strips, I was kind of hoping the punchline at the end would be, like, oh, I taught you this lesson, but now I'm, like, in massive debt or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. gotcha games. <laughs> oh, that would have been good. Now, that is a great example of Ida going over the top to try and teach someone a lesson. And I did like the take on the stain arc, where like instead of fighting, yeah. they go like they re- they just nerd out together, and then when stain <laughs> comes back, I really like that. But I just mm. thought that was really fun. No, I really love the reframing of stain as basically a shut-in troll who is ridiculous <laughs> towards your society is expressed through him constantly adding Endeavor on Twitter to debate him. <laughs> so he he's just a spiteful person essentially, but then. And he still has enough like 
fondness for heroes and that yeah he he bonds with Deku and one asks him to reenact like experience fighting Bakugo that's really great I really like revisiting Stain towards the end of the series too where they interview him about his ideals and we see him like give his spiel about like how he believes hero society is corrupt or whatnot but every time he's saying this like he's turning to All Might and you get a sense that oh he's just desperate for All Might's validation and him to say, yeah, no, I agree. With, sure, I agree with you so far. I'm following you. So I appreciate that. It's kind of cool, like, Ochiko is going to just expel her. And it's kind of, I, like, I almost wish we'd, like, I hope we maybe get to that a bit, like, in the current stuff, where it's like, oh, she's just in it for money. But obviously, like, in the main manga, she's grown, like, way, 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 way much from there. But I just thought it was, like, an interesting, like, moment of staying and kind of remembering, like, oh, yeah, like, how does he interact with stuff? But I don't know. Yeah, like, I do like that the series focused more on Ochako's financial situation, living situation, showing, like, kind of how she lives her daily life and her approach to being frugal and, like, some of the clever ways that she can take advantage of, like, you know, cheap meals and spice it up. Like when they basically get just kind of the plain udon or whatever, but she's brought her own spices from home and she like makes her own Ochiko style udon to flavor that up. Uh, and I like, you know, there's a comment where Yagarozu is like asking her, Hey, can I use your hairdryer? And she, let's like, Scott's like, and drive up my electricity bill. You crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate again, seeing another side of Ochiko that kind of gets glossed over in the main series i think that's true for a lot of the characters that we we kind of get to see a different side of their daily lives mm-hmm. so he, here's my thing right like just talking about ochiko um because they, they they mention in in those later strips where they bring back stain that like uh, ochiko is trying to be a hero and make money because like her parents is like business is failing or whatever and like I thought that was interesting because I genuinely can't remember if that's like a, even established in the main series or not, or if I just oh, it that's is. the main yeah, series, yeah, yeah. established yeah. before mm. the sports festival arc, mm. like. but they never go into it. It's just like barely mentioned. It's, it's that's what I really love that goes into it. Okay. It's surprising yeah. in this series for like a, a comedy guy, you know, take it with a pinch of salt kind of thing. It does add like a significant layer into to stuff like that with Uraraka and with uh, even Yayorozu. And then even like, you know, we haven't seen Stain in Yonks in the main series. We've seen him like in prison. But apart from that, but there he shows up back and you know, the likes of Mount Lady. Mount Lady showed up and like that was great to see. Uh, now, of course, some of that was with Mineta. So, you know, that kind of brought it down a little bit. But it was great to see kind of characters that underutilized in the main series really get their time to shine even in a, a gag manga here you know mm-hmm. yeah no mount loyalty is a big example of that as a character that's like such a side character that doesn't get a lot of focus in the main series but here she's like a major recurring character because i guess netta just really liked her and and the character profile thing in volume one you know he gives this big thing about why he's fascinated on mount lady like she is like the realistic depiction of the modern working women and that's what he's clearly trying to explore in this character but of course it's like a big like winding spiel that ends with a joke of plus that booty so you know obviously he's attracted to her appearance but actually in the series though we do see like mount lady struggle with like her career and having to take on a lot of these like side event jobs where she has to play to uh, people's gigantism and like getting stepped on fetish (laughs) and it's not something she necessarily enjoys but it is what pays the bills i just feel bad for her 
Yeah, I do too. Yeah, no, it's like a genuinely sympathetic portrayal, even though it's, you know, there's a lot of humor in it. Like, we actually do see a lot of interesting vulnerability. Like, I do like how this kind of arc culminates in her, like, interacting with uh, some of the one A girls of the Hot Springs or whatever. And, like, you know, she confesses to them that, you know, like, she's just putting her all into her work and just struggling to get by. Like, when they ask her, like, hey, you're actually one of the few female heroes out on the scene and we really admire you. Like, how do you do what you do and that really touches her because you know she's been trying so hard she's kind of been struggling with this imposter syndrome of like where she can really do this and like these girls just like telling her hey no we look up to you like it really gets her and really gets her to just be vulnerable and real with them in that moment but yeah it's just an interesting and genuine expression of like joy in her face also in that moment when she's like telling them that too so I, it's, it's interesting again like Neta is able to take this side character and like play their quirk off, play their character off for humor in a fun way, but then actually mine like a genuinely uh, touching arc out of it too. Mm. And to kind of like jump back to Ochko for two seconds, like her parents come to the school and her dad or someone comments like, oh, who built this? Did you use general contractors? And it just like <laughs> kind of made me think of like current MHA or just the fact like it's cool they kind of talk about that. Be like their business is failing maybe harshly because people like Cementos can just make a building in five yeah. seconds. I guess that's yeah. true. Yeah. So I, I just really liked that, that kind of like we do, like you said, we get like a different angle of the character, a different angle of the thing. I don't know. It's just cool. Yeah. No, the, they interrogate kind of the logistics of how this world can even be built and the reliance of quirks and the necessity in building and all that. Like earlier on, even like they mentioned the like machine that Deku destroys in oh, yeah. the <laughs> entrance that still is like a fifth of the national budget of Japan. And so Deku destroying it. that puts Ue in the red. For the that, that, that's a good early gag. Yeah. Yes. I just want to say, I, I appreciate the spotlight on Mount Lady, especially because like, I feel like Mount Lady is an interesting character because like she she's clearly like a young up and coming hero. But like I, I feel like in the main series, like her entire arc is basically happening off screen and we only get like glimpses mm-hmm. of it. We need our pro hero spinoffs. What we need. Jeez. No, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. No, we definitely I would read the shit out of that. Honestly. Oh, yeah. Because like I so, yeah, I'm, I'm just appreciative that we got more Mount Lady, even like. Even if, like we were saying, some some of it is in, most of it is in service of the joke, but like, yeah, she, I, I think, I think she's an under. I don't know if I want to say she's an underrated character. She's definitely an underutilized character for sure. Yep. Yeah. It's just funny because she's so big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd think she'd be more of a big deal, but yeah. it's not. They really minimize her role. I get. I guarantee. <laughs> I guarantee you, she'd probably be like in the top five of OnlyFans, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Oh, oh, that's what she's missing. This series is set in a time before OnlyFans existed. If, yeah, but <laughs> still running. You would have bet there have been strips about Mount Lady setting up her own OnlyFans. Well, we know how like big Lady Demetrisu for Resident Evil oh, yeah. is. You know, you get oh, on yeah. that. I suppose. Because <laughs> I think like for the main series, would she like put a. She, like, stomped on, like, a factory with, like, her foot. And she had, like, a truck on her foot or something. That was, like, really badass. Like, oh, that was, like, was awesome. I don't know. Yeah, yeah was cool. I had such a soft spot for her. And, and that bit when she was going up against Gigando Magia? Like, one-on-one? Yeah. On one? No, that, that was incredible. Cool. Our oh, lady man. is underappreciated. So, like, even in this series and in the main one, that, like, kind of the gag, like, side character, like, like you said, she's kind of off-panel, but she still has her own story, and she's she's a badass. Mm. 
Yeah, but you mentioned it also reminds me of another thing I appreciate in terms of like interrogating like the logistics of the hero world is that we see Mount Lady like kind of stumble around like when she's fighting in the city and stuff and we see all the damage she racks up <laughs> and it's like millions of dollars of property damage. And I that's another example of like, oh, we're looking in like, oh, realistically, here are the kind of consequences cost in to the world that the characters also have to deal with and they have to be like oh crap i've caused so much damage to the city that's gonna get deducted out of my insurance or my bay or whatever because i think horikoshi said that originally ochiko was gonna have that quirk or he was gonna have mountain lady be a student but he thought he was just too depressing (laughs) (laughs) too depressing so he decided not to because like in the thing she had to go to like a rural school like because that's the only place that could fit her yeah no we had a real intimate look at her backstory too is like oh man Man, like her quirk caused problems. She couldn't be in the city. She had to go world school. She like worked with like kind of a logging company like in high school. And she was not really happy with that. So that's why she switched tracks to being a hero. Like, yeah, I, get, I think we get a real like sympathetic look at her character arc here in a surprising way that we don't really see in the main series. Th- that's what Silver Spoon was missing was uh, about Lady. <laughs> oh, I was thinking that too. Put her in. Uh. She'd be so helpful. She could, like, move stuff around. Yeah, Mount Lady could have just lifted Komba over that mountain. Then he could have really easily seen what was over the other side instead of having to take a plane or whatever. <laughs> put, no, put her in high queue instead. <laughs> the tall, tall wall in front of me. Mountain Lady says, poo. <laughs> Sorry, that's way up. Uh, and it, for Bakugo, it is kind of fun that for, instead of having his, like, character thing being, like, Oh, he like fails the provisional license exam. It said like he's try he has to go around and do like side jobs, try to make money, and like it kind of humbles him. And like for some reason Todoroki's also there, and they like oh no, oh yeah, I think when the principal sends them and they have to dress up as like eggs. Yes, yeah. And, like, <laughs> Todoroki talks back to him, and he's like, "We're not at school. You have to do this." I just said like, "Well, wearing the egg costume was just really funny." <laughs> yeah. And they have to put on, like, that show performance. And, yeah, I think we see interesting different sides of Bakugo where, he, again, he shows a little more kind of uh, his vulnerability and complexities. Like, uh, like just in a more humorous aspect, though, of, like, he breaks, I think, uh, something of Kaminari's. And so he has to take all these side jobs to, you know, earn money to pay him back, which includes, like, modeling and includes, like, all these different things. And then, like... Because he didn't tell anyone what was going on, though, everyone thinks that he's just really in desperate need of money. So they all pull together, like, to get him, like, a thousand bucks or whatever, even though he was earning money to just pay Common Nari back. And then they go to Mousney Land. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, well censored to avoid Disney coming after them for copyright. And they're like, Minetta, don't turn to the side. <laughs> it's really funny. But they just like blur him. And it's like, that's worse. Because <laughs> uh, like on like my podcast, like I think during the prison license exam, I had to say balls so much. That, like, broke me as a person. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, whenever I see me dad, I'm just like, oh my god, how do I refer to his hair? <laughs> Actually, one, one, one thing I, I did, uh, one of the few Mineta strips I really liked, again, uh, from earlier when they were parodying the uh, USJ arc, is uh, when uh, when Mineta's like, oh man, what can my quirk do? And then uh, either Deku or Suyu's like, Oh, well, you know, you can use your balls to, like, suffocate people. And I'm like, I I guess that's true. (laughs) 
It's like that little mushroom girl in one B. Like it has creepy, dark connotations when you think about it. Jeez. Oh yeah, one B is in here like a little bit. Uh, yeah, jeez. Yeah. Or it, it also kind of fun that we see like what if they're like. But the, the 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 one thing when they do the song and dance, what if that just went horribly wrong because uh, Deku and Bakugo weren't there, and so like they create this really weird haunted house slash like mochi thing, and no one knows what to order, so Ochiko has to like do Bakugo Deku impressions to like fix it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like pointed out, oh, we need these two here to motivate us. They're like main characters, and that just. Set takes Kendo back, and at the end it works out for one A and Kendo. Also, like from that day on, it says like, "Oh, she thinks of one A's rivals because she's like bitter about that or something." So, yeah, one B <laughs> actually got a good show in considering this was long before one A versus one B, like the training. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. A lot of the things like the little like the relationship between Kendo and Yao Yorozu, that almost was like set up here before we even got to see it like really explored uh, in a in a deep way in the main series. So I thought that was very interesting. Again, the gag manga kind of uh, adding a lot more than you'd expect, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shows that again, Neta had a definite understanding of these characters, probably because he has a good understanding of Horikoshi and uh, his intentions with them. I, I, get, I do agree. Like, and I do again, I do think it's interesting how yeah he's able to explore these characters uh, in his own way in this series in a way that shows like different sides to them. Obviously, this is like you know a completely separate universe from the main series, which is even made a point of uh, as the comic goes on and there's a divergent point in which like after that point there they don't mirror events from the original series as much and then that comes to a realization of oh at the end of the series oh this was intentional like oh literally after a certain point uh time stopped for these characters they lived they started living in a simpson-y sase world in which like uh you know the events of the year would go by but they themselves would never age or break out of their thing because it is an interesting thing that we see like in mha smash kind of example of what ua life could have been like for these characters if they didn't have to deal with as many willing threats that you know prevented them from really living out their school lives and taking part in just kind of normal uh festivities and holidays and activities and basically continue on into the next year just normally because time does pass in the sense that like they start a spring semester and then the full year goes by and they have passed like April Fool's Day and Golden Week and the year just continues on for them. And it's really interesting to think about. It's like, especially when you think of it in contrast to the main series of like their school life has been completely derailed at this point. Uh, here we kind of just see an example of, hey, these, this is what it might have been like for them if a big key dramatic events that MHA didn't happen and they could have just continued to live away. All Might could have still been around. Yeah. Even yeah. Shigaraki and the League of Villains uh, would have had, like, seemed happier kind of existences than they do now. I think we get up to about the, sh- like, meeting the Shiketsu kids in terms of the following. And when I say following the main story, I put that loosely because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 when we get to, like, the all might versus all for one fight that is just like skipped that they just like which makes sense because that's a that's one of the darker moments so you want to keep it light but i think 
and especially towards the end, like for every one chapter of kind of main story, you get like six of just shenanigans happening with the gang. And and I think that, as we were pointing out earlier, that is kind of the strong suit. Some of our favorite chapters are the one that kind of go off the beaten track a little bit. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But I, especially, where, as we were saying earlier on, especially where the main series is now, like really dark. I would, I would so love to have like a Smash 2.0 to come back because <laughs> this is like the perfect palate cleanser. It has you know to what I mean? Come back. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice just to have these nice slice of life adventures that explore uh, different character relationships in just like a light-hearted way. I think again, that's the nice appeal of this. Is like it's just an ex- a vision into a world in which these characters' lives were just not completely derailed by. Um, villain invasions and tragedies and and all that. Like April Fools, they like Suyu pretends like a frog is her parents or something. <laughs> <laughs> or like eat as a robot. I think it also is cool that Kamino actually kind of moves to Bakugo doing like a hero show, and he's kind of all might in that situation. And I just thought that was a really cute way of kind of like keeping kind of the same thing, but just like tweaking it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a nice reference while, you know, not going through with what the implications of doing that event here would mean in terms of like removing all might and all that stuff like no it was fun reframing of it. just jumping back to the april fools real quick i think my favorite one was uh when todoroki changed his hair color and nobody yes! noticed. Yeah, <laughs> that was great that, that was, was great. really funny oh my goodness <laughs> and i think like for todoroki and endeavor stuff there was one that i didn't like where i think like saro and kaminari were kind of like giving him shit for not talking to his dad and i'm just like this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because in this version, in Smash, like, Endeavor, they don't play up the fact that he was cold and abusive to Todoroki in the past. Like, there is reference to that same history. But in this version of Smash, Endeavor's personality is more affable. And even earlier on that in the main series, he is trying to be supportive of and get to spend time with and hang out and be close to his son. And so he's a lot more affable and the humor is more about like him, like trying to get close to Todoroki and just hang out with his kid. But Todoroki like is like cold and blowing him off. And obviously we know that's for justifiable reasons because Endeavor was an abusive, horrible person. But in this version of Smash, like I guess we are either led to think that maybe things play out a little differently in terms of Endeavor's personality or at least he's come to the realization that he did in the main series of like guilt of over-treated Todoroki earlier and then he's so he's like trying to put on like his more uh, genial behavior and and do like bonding activities to him even earlier than he did in the original so I thought that was interesting and I, I did generally think that like try hard dad uh, hmm. endeavor was funny in terms of like yeah. he tried to invite Todoroki to the beach to hang out with him but he got annoyed that all the other one of the guys are there and he's trying to hide away like the watermelon he brought for Todoroki from the rest of the students but Ataku finds it and drools over it and, to- <laughs> and Todoroki makes endeavor serve it to all his friends begrudgingly uh. and I like the chapter where like to- I never wanted to celebrate Todoroki's birthday but he like was too nervous to like meet him face to face he was wearing this mask and so all the other 1A students like had to help him like try and interact with Todoroki but they kept missing him and then ultimately a villain 
came up and so Endeavor had to go to confront that. So he gives his big Cindere speech to Todoroki of like, hey, I don't care about your birthday. You need to be more cold-hearted than me if you want to be a professional hero, even though he baked him, uh, <laughs> got him a cake or whatever. But even <laughs> then, the cake he got him, he didn't say that it's from him, but it's from the classmates because he's just cute. that afraid of like... uh Letting Togo you know how much he cares or like that shy about it. So I thought that was nice. I also like how him getting Deku to help was based yes, on bribery of like bribery. giving his boots. And that's called back to uh, later on when Endeavor and Deku meet up, which is another great chapter of like him. What actually makes Todoroki jealous is that Endeavor and Deku starts palling around together. And Todoroki teams up with All Might, who was also feeling kind of jealous of that, to make Endeavor jealous. Or like All Might is just carrying around a like telephone pole that he ripped out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Oh. My favorite thing about uh, Endeavor in this is that uh, d- d- during the like big pro hero party that uh, Ochiko and Deku are invited to by All Might, uh, there's a bit where Endeavor, obviously drunk, comes up to Aizawa and is like, hey, my son's birthday's coming up. What do you think I should get him? You're his teacher. You should know. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. like, you know what? That, 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 and I was like, you know, that tracks for Endeavor. He would be that shitty of a dad that he would get his son, you know? <laughs> Yeah, uh, he gets like the month wrong too. Like it's not even close to Todoroki's birthday. It turns out, or it's the wrong day, or something. Mm-hmm. No, I think that was Froppy. Like they oh. did this big celebration for Froppy's birthday. Oh, you're right, it's like, Froppy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think with Endeavor, the fact that it kind of without that context, without that history that we get in the main series, the relationship between him and Todoroki, well, Shoto, uh, takes a, a a lot lighter tone. So like it's yeah. a lot easier to laugh. To and kind of have fun with it because you, obviously you're not getting into the, the nitty gritty of the details, which makes sense for a gag manga. Like we're not going to delve into that, you know? Yeah. No, the reframing for me is reminds me of like how Triton and King Titans Go is portrayed. It's more mm. like a, you know, lighthearted, goofy, sitcom dad right, to right. Raven. Whereas in the original Teen Titans, you know, who is like this stern cruel Heldrix monster to raven but no they they reframe and soften the character to the point that you can appreciate the comedy between them <laughs> the attempts to form a relationship uh between these characters so i think yeah you do need to also take smash a little bit as its own universe oh, even yeah. though they do call back to the fact that at least some of this history is shared of like how endeavor and Todoroki was treated because Todoroki still has a scar and there's just this like real deep burn of a quote at some point where like they're having like this big cooking contest and apple pie is made and Todoroki cons man I wish my mom baked pie like this instead of baking my face or something like that. and I was like such a wow moment. that's a really dark joke yeah, <laughs> yeah no. and like when he gets mad at you wake being like oh yeah like it's mom day but like not everyone's mom can come mm, yeah that's awkward uh, I did lo- really like the mom contest because, like, Bakugo was... I also love, like, it gets mentioned in the main series, like, oh, Bakugo's a good cook, and, like, this series just, like, dives into it. <laughs> oh, yeah, they really give him a lot of opportunities to show off his culinary talent. And he takes pride in it, too, like in that uh, mom contest chapter. Like, he... Like, at the end of the day, like, everyone was like, oh, everyone's dishes were good, so, you know, we who's... There's no winner here. Bakugo's the one who's like, no, there's gotta be a winner, and we gotta have this system in place to war points. Like, he gets very protective and competitive over his skill. Did he win, or 
or did Sato end up winning? Sugar Man. He said he yeah. yeah, he yeah. Yeah. Also, I like Sato, and I think this just yes. the series just makes me like him just a little bit more. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's a good bot. Yes. I think for Bakugo, the stuff like the gag that didn't really hit with me was when he got like turned into like the pretty boy. But then he like was really violent afterwards. So like he would he was rude towards Aizawa, and then he like almost attacked Aizawa, and like the attacking part isn't part of the villain quirk. It was just him being angry, and I was like, I don't know if I like that part as much, but eh. Yeah, he literally did like the wall slam thing like he did like, yeah. in Shoujo manga. But um so I, I thought some of that stuff was actually kind of funny, but I think my favorite bit about that is uh when they're doing like hostage training and carrying Deku and he literally breaks his back and kills him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is like a really good Momo gag too when he like let's go to for date in hell and he like takes himself out because yeah. he's so embarrassed it's so, like some of it I really really like I thought it was really funny I think there's the the Aizawa part I was like it's just like attacking but I think you're right it was more of a cap and dawn but eh <laughs> oh man it's, some, some of that stuff was pretty good too um Speaking of moms, um, I, it, it's it's funny that I said that I don't like the first volume of the series, but I keep going back to gags that are in that first volume. <laughs> um, but uh, w- one other thing I did like is um, when uh, Deku comes back home and gives his mom his like itinerary for his training, and then his mom just becomes all my. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, a good yeah. one. That's a good one, she too. Has, she has the perfect body. <laughs> <laughs> she can inherit all for oh, one. Yes. But it's kind of funny that, like, in the, like, the end of the thing is really weird that, like, they, they beat Isekai, but then, like, their world still isn't, like, fixed. And that's what makes me think it really is going to go back. Because it's just such a weird It's kind of like a cliffhanger ending, ending, isn't it? Yeah. I was like, where's the rest of it? Is this where we really end with our fateful Smash heroes? Jeez. Well, it's interesting because it's ending on the joke of like it's a new world in which some of these conflicts from the previous world of like characters being antagonists to each other have kind of resolved. Like specifically, now Todoroki and his and Endeavor have like a friendly relationship. Todoroki's kind of like never daddy, and then like Shigaraki is going to UA and <laughs> friendly with him in Bakugo. And Ochako's an old person. Yeah, so it's like just. I think just meant to be like, oh, we're still not in the right world, but this is where we have to leave off. Like, and Deku is just freaking out. That would be really funny if we got more My Hero Academia Smash, but it was just set in this world. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I I would like to see that. It seems that Neda hasn't had another published work since this is ended. I would like him to have the opportunity to maybe return to this with this premise. Maybe actually explore the idea of an MHA Isekai type story. Multiverse! Yeah. <laughs> no. Don't just leave it for the MCU. MHA yes. can do it too. Actually, that would be pretty cool. We've seen the light novels come back because like, there, was, there wasn't a light novel for a few years and then out of nowhere we have another light novel on the way. So... It's not out of the realm of possibility that Smash could make a comeback, you yeah. know? Yeah, but it's gotten so dark since then, so I think it'd be harder to do. Like, right. A lot harder. Well, I think that's where the... Why it would be nice to have it, though, is because then we could have, like, the more lighthearted adventures of these characters. Imagine a world in which, 
You know, they are like a lot of ads. That's kind of what I like about Carnival Phantasm in its view of the fake universe in which like it imagines like all the fake characters happy and not an ass <laughs> at each other so they can ha- get in totally shenanigans. And like some characters do get violence upon them. Like there's great gags about how Lancer is like constantly got- getting brutalized or something. But like it's still a very lighthearted series. It's also true with like the Emmy of Family Spinoff where it's like all the characters, the Grail War, I guess, ended just with everyone just being able to live happily coexisting in the same world. And so it's just a bunch of adventures of them like you know, cooking and having fun slice of lifetimes together. I think we could enjoy uh, a more lighthearted spinoff of MHG in that vein, where like characters can just enjoy their daily lives a bit, and again, free from the harshness that they currently are facing in the main story. Yeah, and it is kind of fun to feel harshness. Like having Moonfish was in Smash for a bit, and like Shigaraki just doesn't like it, <laughs> and it's so he's like, I like it when my Bat, my baddies can get like cavities or something because Moonfish is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, no, I like the more like uh, a defanged, let's say, version of Moonfish in this, where like uh, this really creepy, scary villain is now we have to see him interact just kind of in these more down to earth interactions with Shigaraki and just have whole conversations and then hang out, like go on the hiking trip, even. <laughs> it's like he's just part Aww. of the group and. He's just someone they have to hang out with. So I think that's funny. Oh, I guess one thing for the villains, Magni, I think, was done really bad. Like, yeah. they, they just exist yeah. to make Dobby uncomfortable. And I'm just like, why is it's just ugh, that just made me really uncomfortable. That's uh, that's my least favorite aspect. Like, I would say for the most part, the villains is probably the highlight. Um, for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, really, I really like the villains, but that Magni, the way that was handled, uh, I think was not very yeah, good. Yeah, I could have done less with her, like, trying to flirt with Dobby in ways that were very uncomfortable. Like, like sticking her hand down her shirt at one point. Like, yeah, that plays on, like, predatory queer stereotypes that just are really bad. But isn't it funny when people are uncomfortable? No. <laughs> yeah, but that's the gag it's going for. It's like, oh, this this is funny, right? This is funny, right? And it's like, No. I don't know, at least like an MHJ. It's awful to say, but at least Maggie got killed off before she could just be like beaten into the ground with that kind of joke. But and, like, and Maggie in the main series did get some good, like, cute scenes with no, kind of her friend. She was humanized. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, for yeah. sure. She, we, she had a sympathetic uh, portrayal to her and the scenes we saw her in. I wish Smash could have done that. That would have been cool. Like, Maggie lives in this, and instead we get nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. A missed opportunity. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Like that was a fortunate aspect. Well, one random thing I wanted to bring up that I, I really appreciated, like uh, like another cool little like wrinkle to the world that um, I'll be honest, uh, a lot of my friends and I actually like talk about all the time is, uh, you know, because uh, we like to think and talk about like how people with quirks are like born physically, you know, like what what is the birthing process like for some of those? <laughs> Um, and I really, I really like how the strips kind of handle that. With uh, again er- earlier on when they're doing the USJ stuff, uh, we get introduced to a character with the quirk hedgehog, where apparently he was just born with his spikes because his birth killed his mom. Oh, oh god! And I'm just like, oh, okay, that, that explains it, I guess. I wonder. Do you think Tokiyami was probably born with a bird head, right? 
He didn't just have a human head that turned to a yeah. bird. I have to assume but he so, probably yeah. got Dark Shadow when he was four or something. Mm. I don't know. I think yeah. So yeah, that that sounds that sounds familiar anyway. But um, <laughs> what, what if it turns out Tokyo Hobby's the traitor? He just takes off like a mask. Oh yeah, I think they even do like Halloween where everyone dresses up as or like a few people dress up as Tokyo <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Why is everybody like the bird head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Um, yeah, because I I think we used to we used to talk about that stuff a lot because like with Ida in particular we always used to wonder like was he just born with engines on his legs like what <laughs> engine yes. in? like could you imagine yeah. giving birth to that that would yeah. <laughs> 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 um so uh, we we, we kind of we kind of mentioned a few of them at the beginning but um. I guess I was wanting to know if you guys had any more strips that you wanted to bring up that like didn't really do anything for you. And I'm asking that because I want to bring up, I, I think what is probably my least favorite strip again from the USJ arc, I guess, where, um, where, where Shigaraki and the villains come in and, uh, Aizawa asks, uh, Kaminari to signal for help. And he's about to do that. And then he literally does the, what's the number from a 911 thing? Like I thought that was a real stinker, honestly. <laughs> It's a pretty cliche joke, but to be honest, it didn't bother me because it was Kaminari who did it, and Kaminari is that dumb. So mm. it kind of washed over me. I didn't. Bo- it didn't bother me, even though the joke was again very cliche. I guess, but, but the, mm. the the thing with me is that like I get it. It's because Kaminari's dumb or whatever, and that's fine. I just think, I just think it's kind of hacky to do that. Just to, just to do that joke straight and not even be yeah. and not even be like. Oh, that's cliche or whatever. Like it wouldn't have like made it that much funnier. But I, I was kind of like I would. I, I kind of wish for a little like like commentary. I don't know. I just right. I, 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 like that layer. was that was the one that kind of made me groan the most. But that's just me. Yeah, and I I think the one I already mentioned, but like I think it's it's called like fair use of force. The one where Minetta's like, oh, everyone, did you know I'm actually a girl? And it's just the worst. Like, they even go, like, oh, no, this is a bizarre thing to do. But it's just, like, it, that shouldn't have even, like, they could have, like, sketched it out and the editor could have been, like, actually, no. That is, like, a horrible <laughs> trope. Or not trope, but just, like, I, I don't know. I just, that was the one that made me, like, want to stop reading. Well, it didn't really read as, it didn't bother me as, as much because it doesn't read as transphobic. It's okay. just, like, the girls are com- completely, like, non- Plus, they're not buying it because Minetta's intentions are transparent. So it's not, there's no recoil over the idea of Minetta being a girl. It's just like the like him trying to do this scheme just completely falls flat because everyone knows like his actual intentions. Mm. And then he gets or just, like, yeah. or, you know, he gets punished for it. Or just the idea like that tra- like trans people like, oh, they will just want to go into bathrooms to do what Minetto wants to do, I think was my more my problem. But I, I definitely agree with you that maybe it's not as bad. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that reading for sure. Like it, it is when it is something that, you know, could have been handled really badly. Yeah, but, at least uh, it's short. It didn't come to immediately reminding me that, that it was like a transphobic joke and so much as a, a joke on Minetta's character that he thought that this would i think that might be a better reading i i agree with lum but i think it's 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 fine that like uh i think it's understandable to still be kind of tired of the joke yeah. because it's mm. like it, it's a it's a thing that stupid people are afraid of basically yeah exactly yeah so it, it just feels a little too like i already have to deal with this in real life. i don't yeah you know. mm. it's best to 
play it carefully because people can read it or take it in a, in a way to apply it to trans people. That is yeah. unfortunate. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, what, what, what about you, Luke? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, just like mostly what we've said already, the Mineta stuff, uh, Magni, like... Uh, a lot of it does, and there's a couple of duds in every volume. Like that stuff, yeah, yeah. that stuff I think is just not funny. Uh, but and then there's a couple of jokes that just don't land. Uh, but like for for the most, and as you were saying, Colton, like the first volume, there's a couple of duds, which might throw you off the whole series, which I think would be unfortunate because it does kind of pick up as we get going. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like there's a few duds, but also I think with the like the amount. That of what you're getting with the strips like you're getting a lot per chapter so like they can't all knock it out of the park but i think with that quantity you kind of you get more chuckles than you get more misses you know what i mean mm-hmm. i would agree with that yeah but yeah i mean as for me i feel like we touched upon a lot of the types of strips i don't like the sexist ones the transphobic or veering on homophobic and transformic ones uh ones that you know seems ex- sexually exploitative um other ones that bother me that we have bring up are they're also sexist ones but they're like playing into like these really tediously outdated and bizarre uh, sexist stereotypes like mainly about like you know women are also obsessed about their weight and defensive about their boob size or whatever that there's this big running gag with Jiro that I really don't like in this where she is like like very annoyed that I guess she has smaller breasts than the other girls mainly Aoyorozu and so there are like a lot of jokes about that and those like I found very tedious and bad and uh, similarly like there are some these I don't feel like there are a lot of sort of center around it but like there's like uh it, when they are doing the sports festival and in this version they are like running through an area where they're being confronted with like someone vocalizing their fears or whatever and like with Achako it's like her fear is that she gained like two pounds or whatever and it's like come on really yeah right uh playing up that women yeah, are obsessed yeah. with their weight or whatever that's stupid that's that's really lame so stuff like that i found very eye-rolling and tired no yeah i totally agree um mm-hmm. i hate to derail our conversation but i just realized that i've been recording with the wrong mic this entire time oh, oh no Oh, here we go. Uh, but that's okay, because I'm going to fix it right now. Okay, here we go. And and that's my gag for, for the discussion. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, no. So were you actually recording with your wrong mic the entire time? It's, that's just a joke. No, actually, I was recording with my oh, wrong really? mic the entire okay. time. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Funny shenanigan there. Yeah, very, very perfect. <laughs> another another strip oh. of M- Manga Maverick Smash in the there we books. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Zoinks! Manga Mavericks go. <laughs> um, actually, uh, speaking of that joke, like, uh, actually, like, the more I think about it, I, I, th- I think your comparison earlier is pretty apt that, like, th- this is basically the Teen Titans go of My Hero Academia mm, Smash. Absolutely. Whether, yeah. Wh- whether, depending on who you are, that may be a good thing or a bad thing, mm. but, but still, you know. Yeah, I've kind of weird into the 
point in mind that oh Teen Titans Go is better than the original Teen Titans. It's, Ooh, it's, I need to, to watch more of it. I haven't watched any, but I've heard like at first I heard people didn't like it, but now I've heard more people like it. So it's kind of cool that people have come around to it or it changed a little bit. I don't know. I think it gets a bad rap. Man, it's ballsy. It goes places in its comedy. Yeah, no, people don't like it because it isn't reverent to the original or like the characters. Like it makes fun of them, but I think that's what makes it so funny. Was it Teen Titans Go that had like the last superhero movie? I really liked that one. Was that Teen Titans Go? I mean, Teen Titans Go did have a movie that showed in theaters that was yeah. pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things. And yeah, I, I, I will admit totally derailing the conversation now i will admit that like you know i was definitely one of those people who like you know was really desperately wanting more of the original teen titans because of the way it ended and then hearing that like oh this new comedy spinoff's coming i'm just you know that kind of soured me on it because i wanted more of the original but like you know from, from the few episodes i've watched here and there it's actually not that bad like uh my friend was actually showing me a um a clip that he found on tiktok of um I guess there's an episode where they're, like, touring the Grand Canyon or whatever, and they get to a particular site where, like, Native Americans used to live, and then uh, when Robin's trying to, like, do his touring or whatever, he basically skips over all the really shitty stuff that happened in history, and they, like, call him out on it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, this show, like, goes places. That I appreciate that. No, it does. It, it does have some really smart <laughs> and audacious social commentary Ooh. in it. <laughs> that yeah they get away with a lot of fun stuff in that show but to derail in a different direction i just want to go back to tokoyami's like weird quirk girl i do like that they like she takes out the breaker because like they spoil her so she kind of like goes mad with power i just thought <laughs> yeah. that was cute <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then she has a at the end of the chapter. There's like a hierarchy of people yeah. who she respects, and Lynette is worse than like raptors or something. Cockroach poop. Or cockroach, something. poop. cockroach poop. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's funny. It's like, and it's like in the thousands in terms of this hierarchy. Like he's like five thousand something. He's like at the very bottom. So that's pretty funny. Again, showing the contempt that people have for Minetta. I enjoy that. Oh man. Um. I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, is there anything else in particular we want to talk about, or do we have any other stray thoughts? Or oh, I guess my stray thought would be, I like if we do get uh, Smash back, I do want them to kind of dive into the Kurogiri uh, Shirakomo stuff because I think that would yes. be kind of fun. Hmm. Like, yeah, or just like kind of doing like I don't know. I I just want Smash to come back, and that's my take. I want Smash to come back and like try to do goofy stuff, or like kind of just go off. It would have to go, like, so separate, but I also, all for one, wasn't in Smash. No, yeah, they no. completely removed that. I think he's, he's too scary. It would have been interesting to see a comedic take on all for yeah. one. Yeah. I would like to see that. I think there's so much potential for uh, another comedic take on the characters and, like, seeing characters that weren't in Smash, like, also... Like finding the humor in them, even like some of the more straightforward villains, like all for one. So, but I guess yeah. I don't want a comedic the doctor because I feel like it would just be fat jokes. So I don't want the comedic doctor. I think you could find humor uh, beyond his appearance. Yeah, uh, sorry, hopefully, hopefully. Like, yeah, he could go fall into mad scientist route and like create all sorts of weird no moves that are like. <laughs> funny in some way and like how useless or strange they are the nobu do psychic damage with the brit like oh no your brain's out (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was funny but kendra the the doctor's fat and old we gotta get we gotta mine comedy out of that oh jeez yeah (laughs) 
don't know. I just actually just hate the dog because he scares me and I don't like him. And he's pretty he's creepy, a horrible yeah. person. Yeah. yeah. But the part of me is like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I need to do some doctor thing because I'm like, I hope it's, I'm trying to be like, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. <laughs> to, to, be, to be fair, like, it would be kind of interesting, but I can only imagine how hard it is to like mind comedy out of characters like All for One and and the Doctor just because of like how terrible they are. But it, right. we, we'll see. Or, like know. Shigaraki backstory. Like, how do you do that comedy? Yeah. yeah. But that's right. I might be going too much like future, like something that literally isn't going to happen. No, no, it's okay. You but really I really have the the change and reframe it into making it funnier than it was. Like. And so it would have been interesting to see Netta tackle that challenge, though. Mm. Ooh, mm. or like all the vestiges. The vestiges yeah. would be really fun in Smash, I think. Yeah. But th- th- yeah. this is this is all assuming that, like, if Smash were to come back, they would just, like, you know, parody the series. Which, again, I think there there were some funny strips in that, but, like... Yeah, but yeah. no, it was strongest when it weird off from direct. Yeah, absolutely. Replicating the arcs as it went on, but that's what I think. I think they could have the characters be in here and parry them without like retelling the story, exactly, like as it continues yeah. to. Because we saw the Shiketsu students come up in a completely different context, and the so one A one B, the one B students interact with the one A students in different contexts than in the original. So I think we could have those characters pop back in a comedy spin-off series without like just doing the arcs again. And I guess yeah, something I didn't like besides the Mineta gags is that like Inus's gag was just that he like hit his head against the ground a lot. And yeah, it felt like, like we were running out of yeah. steam when mm. we got there. Yeah, that's right? the part where I can see like, okay, this may be why they decided to end it, because like it, it was hard to adapt, like to try to like come up with gags like, oh there's so many new characters, and like right. how do I do so like Inus's whole thing is that like he hates Endeavor and so like he has deal de- like problems with Todoroki, but it's like how do you make that a gag? So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they they resort to gags that like are just from the series. Like yeah. it's not really anything <clears throat> new. Um, and yeah, it's kind of interesting because like you know when I was reading this, I didn't really have any idea of like when this was running, like in comparison to where the original series was. You know, and uh, November twenty fifteen to November twenty seventeen. So oh. by the time this ended. That was still at the point where they were in the overhaul arc, I mm-hmm. believe. So we didn't really see, you know, Mirio or the big stray or mm-hmm. uh, the Shihasaikai in the series. So, you know, it's a shame that they didn't get to that. That would have been interesting to see their take on uh, on overhaul. That would be that would be kind of yeah. interesting. <laughs> or airy. Oh. oh my gosh. But how do you yeah. do like that would be just uh, I, you'd have to go like completely different. Also, no, let the league adopt Airy. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you. it would be the best. Yeah. Like it would have been so good. I like they would have been nice to her as long as you keep her away from the Doctor <laughs> and all for one who like don't exist in this universe. Like it would be make Shigaraki have to raise a, ba- a not baby or like five or six year old. I think would be yeah. Really That'd be pretty funny, funny actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely find good sorts of humor. What if, like, instead of the heroes rescuing Yari, it was a league and they have to raise her. And then she ends up also trying to become a villain, but, in, you know, in her cutesy, childish way. <laughs> and they just baby her and are protective yes. of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could have been um, very cute. As as far as straight thoughts go, um, I, I didn't have a chance to mention this earlier, but uh, sh- sh- shout out to the one, not really strip, but, like, uh, the, the art that Netta did... Uh, with uh, some of the characters from MHA 
cosplayed as characters from Omagadoki Zoo. That was a nice mm-hmm. little surprise. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising that he didn't go for Bakugo as Shishida, though. And, and yeah, yeah. Because, like, yeah. If, if people have probably listened to this before, but, like, Shishido is basically prototype Bakugo. <laughs> yeah, but appreciated Toy Toy Todoroki. <laughs> poodle guard. I'm also kind of surprised that they didn't make Dobby um, Isana. I, f- I feel like that would have been easy. But yeah. Yeah. He was Aoi Hana. So that was, that was interesting. Yeah, Isana was uh, Mina. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah the choice yeah. is there. I need to actually read a Magadakizu. I've just like, I've listened to the, whatchamacallit, uh, Shonen Flop thing about it. And I've read a bit about it, but I haven't actually read it. Besides like, I think I read like the first chapter yeah. or two. I think it'll be worth it for you to check out. We recorded our episode on it just mm. recently, and you'll uh, that'll be released. I mean, before this podcast mm. goes oh. out to our listeners, but yeah, I mean, I think especially if you're interested in seeing like how certain character designs or ideas were taken uh, from Horikoshi's earlier works to MHA, it's definitely worth to read. If you're a Gang Orca fan in particular, his predecessor Saka Mata is one of the more fun antagonists of oh. that series. Oh yeah, for sure, but. Yeah, I, I was gonna say it's it's out by the time you're listening to this, but but Kendra, you should definitely listen to it when it's out. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> uh. We talk about a Magadoki Zoo for just just uh, just barely three hours. It was very fun. Mm. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh. we, we had a lot to say. Um, uh. But yeah, no, I mean, I guess um, unless unless we have any other like final oh. straight thoughts, I guess um, I, I'm kind of curious, like. Mm. What was that? Sorry, it's kind of cool. Smash, if it was, it ended before certain stuff. Like, it predicted the like, kids practicing their, like, the pr- practicing with the press and even, like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Deku yeah. working with Endeavor. Was that, like, prof- was that, like, prophesizing? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or, or was, I, Maybe. I don't know, yeah. No, that was really interesting, like, showing the, uh, showing different sides of their training. Like, yeah, like, showing them have to practice how to give... Uh, press interviews, press uh, speeches to the press, but it's and cool then that also showing the like yeah, them so. learning uh, from staying, like we get interviewing a villain to understand how like a villain's mind works. I think this, these were really interesting ideas of like lesson plans for the students that I think is a good expansion of kind of the stuff we saw in the main series, or you know, to touch upon things that we didn't see in the main series, but would have been cool extensions of that. Hmm. But yeah, I guess unless we have any other final thoughts. One more thing. One more thing. Not to derail everything. Oh, okay, Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just think, yeah, because as, as we were saying, as Kendra was saying, like we haven't seen, because Smash ended before we even got into overhaul, we haven't seen any of the big three. I haven't seen. But for me, uh, we never saw any of the pro heroes. You know, we, I never saw oh. Miracle or Hawks, and I think yeah. they would have been really cool. But I think, to a certain extent, perhaps the other spinoff uh, team-up missions might be able to carry that torch Ooh, torch yeah. in, a, in a certain extent. Because while it isn't going for the straight kind of gag motif here, they, they do have a lot of fun and they will have the pro heroes involved. So if you're looking for kind of a bit more fun, I'd say try team-up missions. Uh, but yeah, I just, I want to see the Smash comeback is what I want. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I, I I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think there's definitely room for it. But yeah, Team on Missions is like a great showcase of like different types of character interactions that allow for different exploration of the characters in a fun way. Like in more expansion of some of the 
like secondary ones, like revisiting the characters from two heroes or yeah, just even showing off more characters like Mirko. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Hey, look, look forward to an episode on team hero team. Oh Michigan. my goodness. You know, that would be yeah. cool. Yeah. Look out for that. But, um, I guess as far as like, um, cause I was kind of curious how you guys felt about this. And we might've already touched on this, but like, as far as like recommendations go, because so far I'm kind of leaning towards like, I think we said it best earlier. Like, I think if you're already a My Hero Academia fan, I, I think this is at least worth checking out. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, but before Luke told us about like all the extras that were in the volumes, honestly, I, I actually would have said like, you're probably better off just reading this on the app. Like personally, I, you know, I've never been interested enough in like a, in like a four panel comic type thing enough to like own it, but that's just me. So, you know, if you don't want to, like, go out of your way to buy the volumes, like, all the strips are on the on the Shonen Jump app if you want to, like, uh, if you just want to read them. But, like, if you're interested in the extras that we kind of, like, touched on here, then maybe they're worth buying for that, you know? I think the app is a perfectly, like, and you're, you've hit the nail on the head. Like, this is kind of the only thing is niche enough that if, unless you're, like, deep, and a lot of stuff would be, like, jokes and references that you would only understand, really, if you kind of are involved with the main series. And while a lot of it does go off the rails, like not strictly following the story from the main series, you do need to have that at least awareness to kind of get what's going on. But yeah, like, you know, you have the app and you can, I think the full, all the full 94 chapters are available on the app. Uh, so really like, unless uh, the, there are a few extra bells and whistles with the volumes, but to be honest, you can get away with reading it and having a perfectly satisfying reading experience just with the app, you know. And it, it, since it's all there and available to you, if you're already a member, uh, you might as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, reading the volumes, seeing the supplemental materials, even just having the first volume and seeing the, the bonuses, I thought that were a fun enhancement of the experience. But the strips themselves, you know, if you are just interested in checking them out, like the app is a good way to experience those without all the bells and whistles. I think if you are an MHA fan, you'll get even more out of checking out the volumes for that Horikoshi and me or Ned and me like bonus stuff and the character profiles. Like I definitely think in general, Smash is a fan's first kind of manga. While, you know, you could follow some of the story from the beginning uh, based on how the fact that the they retell the story, uh, at least the early parts of it, for a few volumes before doing its own thing. You could potentially like understand it on its own, but I think having the context of My Hero Academia already being a fan of My Hero Academia is what will get you the most out of it. And in that case, I do think is like a fun bonus for fans. Like I basically, I'm just gonna read out what I wrote in my review way long ago because I think I just described it best. Like. Uh, at best, Smash is a series of sketch-style comic strips inspired by MHJ that serves a humorous supplement to its parent series. That describes the book as kind of like bloopers that play during the credits of a movie, which is a sentiment I'd concur with. Rather than be enjoyable in its own right, Smash is fun bonus material for existing MHJ fans to amuse themselves with. And in that regard, I wouldn't say it's always a smashing success, but I do think overall it's still a lot of fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good way of putting it. Um... I guess as far as like my just to kind of sum up my final thoughts on Smash, um, again, really kind of fell off of it almost in the beginning, but it does get better. And I think overall, while I still think it's like a mixed bag, I still think that like there are good strips in there. And, you know, the more we talk about it, 
uh, the more I do appreciate some interpretations of the characters and how, like, some of them are just amped up to 11. Um, I didn't mention it, but I think Deku is kind of my favorite, like, caricature almost. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they take his fanboyism up to his dream. Like, I really like the chapter where Ochako and... Uh, I like how Hakakure, like, she was disguised to be incognito, but as the invisible girl, like, she's wearing more clothes than usual, so she stands on more. That's kind of a funny thing. But no, in that chapter, I like how they're just following Deku around as he's, like, going to all these, like, fanboyish, touristy places. Uh, and then there's, like, he knows the price of, like, this Mount Lady figure, so he complains to the store manager that it's twice what the actual value is and stuff like that. So, yeah, I like how in Smash they take his fanboys and up to an ex- almost an obnoxious extreme and almost a, a corrupting influence extreme, like the fact that he could get bribed by Endeavor offering him boots. And also, like at the hero party, like he notices that I think Edshot was, was like turning down autograph requests so he disguised himself as a foreigner who can't understand Japanese <laughs> to get to just badger at John into giving him the autographs so I think they play out in fun ways I, I especially liked um I forget which chapter it was but there was that strip where like he's looking through his old like diary entries and realizing like man I'm really messed up like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, yeah. He's talking about his relation with Bakugo and how he wrote down like he he wished he could like murder him. Like do violent things to him. Like, oh wow, we see a real dark side of Deku and has some more anger issues in his relationship to Bakugo there. I feel like in the real world, this is how like he would probably turn out, probably. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And I guess my problem was, like, oh, I'm so glad people are still going to be friends with me. And I'm like, you're, like, I can understand, like, maybe he was having, like, violent thoughts. But it's like, Bakugo's the problem there. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So that maybe me the wrong way, like, a little bit where it's like, I, but I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting take. And maybe even, like, explores the, it more than, like, the main series is willing to. That Bakugo Arguably, bullied yeah. De- Deku for ten years. Yeah. Even, like, we did get, like, okay, spoilers for MHA. We did get an apology super late. But, sorry for spoilers, because I don't know if everyone's up to date, but anyways, meh. Yeah, yeah. No worries. It was a good moment, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, no, it's, I, I thought that was really funny. But um, overall, I think, um, and again, scores don't always mean everything, you know, but this is just how I kind of, like, calculate things in my brain or whatever. But, like, I think I would feel comfortable giving this, like, a 6 out of 10 on, like, Animus or something. Like, like parts of it were funny, but again, it's still kind of a mixed bag for me. And what makes you laugh is very, very, very subjective. So, like, some some jokes are going to hit people differently more than others. And, and again, while while I appreciate different interpretations of the characters... um, you know, it it is still one of those things where it's like I feel like it's it's not very consistent at the very least. Uh, which again, I, I know it's hard, but still. So that's that that that's kind of like where I'm at personally. Mm. Yeah, that's I think a fair rating. That's basically the rating I gave it in my review a few years back. I think that's what I'll get now. It's not actually that far apart because I also gave Omakadoki like a six too. But but yeah, similarly, yeah, it yeah. is like kind of a. A mixed bag of things, but I think there is a lot to appreciate there in the reinterpretations, in like how Netta finds different sides of these characters, then and it is allowed to explore them in a way that we don't quite get to see in the main series, like in the case of Mount Lady or even Yayarozu. 
So I appreciate that a lot. And I did enjoy my time reading it, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I will say, you know, you mentioned earlier that you uh, were initially thinking, oh, this is like the worst thing that we've read for the show. Uh, I will say that uh, this is definitely, I definitely prefer this over men have dreams women can't understand Bakuman. So it has that going for Oh, it. yeah. You know, that's fair. And I don't want to turn this into a whole other bak- uh, Bakugo discussion, uh, Bakuman discussion. <laughs> but um, you know what? I, I st- Bakuman's a whole other thing, but I still like it because there are things to like about it. But holy shit, yeah, the sexism in- it, it is bad. You can you can just listen to our discussion on that if you want to mm, hear more okay. of our thoughts on that. But um, yeah, that that's fair though. I, I can't. And it also didn't make me madder than some other things that happened in series we read this year. Yeah, but it's all subjective thing, but. Yeah, no, I I think Smash has merit, uh, especially if you are an MHA fan to check out, and even on its own. To to be fair, like I did I did say that in our Discord, but like I said, I have softened softened on it as I went on, and I I would not say it's the worst thing we've read on the show. Um, mm. At the very least, it's better than a lot of the some of these short lived jump starts we read the first couple chapters of to review, or. Some other, like, series. I mean, it can't ever be worse than Circuit Breaker or Diesel. Like, I don't know. We have, <laughs> oh not, God, found any, we have not found anything worse than Circuit Breaker or Diesel. I keep forgetting we talked about those because that was so early on in our show. Uh, I never even heard of those. Uh, they are very bad, like, anime-inspired Western comics. Oh. Like, Diesel in particular is a straight-up rip-off of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> Stardust Crusaders, like a remake of the end duel fight and all. Yeah, like literally they have stands and everything. It's really bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my I mean, God. also to comment on earlier episodes, like this, covering a gag comedy spin on like this has been a long time coming because one of our earlier episodes is titled Your Favorite Character is Just in Jag, and that's the joke where I think I brought up how much I didn't like the Attack on Titan Junior High spinoff manga at the time, and we had a discussion then of like, like what works about some of these gag comedy spinoff manga, what doesn't. Yeah. I would say My Hero Academia Smash, while not one of the best examples of a gag comedy spinoff, you know, still ha- shows off like a lot of things that can be done right with this kind of parody. Mm, yeah, yeah. This kind of. Uh, material and genre so i think it was good to finally cover one of these on the show mm. and i think for, for me like i would recommend this only if like or um if you like like the series and you really want to see more of 1a or like kind of see other students get like a bit more of a highlight check it out if you're like need really but i think it's like it's a nice apple but then there's some real like worms in it so it's like yeah. hit or miss. I, yeah. I, I overall i still enjoyed it like parts of it i was worried that i wouldn't enjoy it at all but it did come around, and like there are there are some good parts of the apple, but there are still some more. Yeah, if you want to eat the apple, you're definitely gonna have to bite around uh, yeah. the soiled sections. Or uh, <laughs> if that's too hard, yeah, it might be best to just get another apple. Yeah, because like since it's a gag, like, I don't know if I'll ever reread it again. Like it's probably will be the only right. time I'll read mm-hmm. it. Pro- probably I'm, not. Maybe, yeah. yeah, if it comes back, I'll read it again. <laughs> probably, yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say it's like 60% pretty okay strips, like cute moments at least, some funny ones, and then the other 40% is, yeah, jokes that don't land or like legitimately really gross stuff that I don't like, like uh, 
I, th- I think there was one opening panel where, like, uh, like Deku is, like, injured and everybody, uh, all the teachers and, like, Recovery Girl are, like, kind of, like, leering at him. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Can we, like, mm. not have this, please? <laughs> it's mm. so creepy. <laughs> oh, man. Um, But, yeah, uh, I think that's going to be about it for our discussion. And, uh, yeah, I, I just want to say thank you to uh, Luke and Kendra for coming on the show. This was really fun. Yay, yeah. thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, guys. Thank you. Uh, hopefully we can have you guys back on either talk more My Hero Academia in the future, or, hey, if there's ever anything that you want to talk about on the show, let us know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. But, yeah, I guess um, with all that out of the way, um, I guess we can let people know where they can find you. Uh, Kendra, why don't we start with you? Nice. You can find me on Twitter at Sniper of My Heart, and I do have two podcasts. I have the My Hero podcast on Twitter at MAJPod, and I have the Haikyuu Pod, the View from the Top Haikyuu podcast at Haikyuu Pod. That's kind of on hiatus. I think we're going to try to come back, but it's just a matter of timing, motivation, and I miss Haikyuu. I don't know, but hopefully <laughs> we'll do it again. But if you if you really like Haikyuu and you need to blast through some things, we have, like, I think we do, like, four episodes, four chapters at once when, like, my hero... Yeah, when Haikyuu is still going, but anyways, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say real quick, speaking of the uh, My Hero Academia podcast, um, you can actually go to my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com, where uh, I actually have listed the episodes that I was on, at least. Uh, and, I mean... Uh, Colton's on a lot, too, or, like, for some stretches. Hi. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, I'd love to. You know, not, not not just listen to the episodes where you know Lum or I are both around, but you should just you should listen to the My Hero Academia podcast. Like, I I don't get the chance to listen to it like every week, but you know when I do get to listen to it, it's always fun, and it's also fun being on. So yeah, I just want to thank Kendra for always having us on when uh, when we can. I really appreciate it. Um, and then, yeah, Luke, speaking of other My Hero Academia podcasts, if you want to go ahead and plug your stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, I've got a bunch. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at LJ underscore Hollywood. You can find me as a co-host on the My Hero Academia Hero Notes podcast, the My Hero Academia recap podcast, where we go and we take a look at all the different chapters going all the way back to volume one. Uh, me and my buddy Batman Beyond Mark, and we do that every week. So every Friday we get a new episode, uh, and we cover all. We're all up to volume twenty and uh, twenty eight. I think we're starting next week, so we are nearly catching up because I think volume twenty nine is coming out in, in September. So we're nearly caught up with the vibes. Uh, so that's exciting times. Uh, so a couple of doozies to go. Uh, you can also find me on the Weird Science Manga and Anime Podcast, where I'm a co-host uh, there, and we do. A lot of different. We do all sorts of stuff on that show. That we're doing stuff nearly every day. We got weird science manga Monday episodes where we talk about new chapter ones. We got the weekly review show where we talk about weekly manga chapters. We got all sorts. We got anime shows that uh, we even uh, Colton even uh, recommended a few shows. We did a couple for him. Uh, so we've got yeah, all maybe. sorts. Yes. So uh, <laughs> good times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I really, I've really been enjoying uh, the weird science podcast that you guys have been doing, and uh, I, I just want to say, uh, I, I appreciate you guys doing some of my picks. Uh, I, especially when you guys talked about Gintama a little bit. Yes, uh, and case closed. Mm. And case closed. I picked up the volume after you because I was like, oh, you nice. know, Colton recommended this, and it's pretty good. So oh. I found it in the shop, and I'm going to pick this oh. up. About a big wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, p- please go check out all their stuff and, and check out Kendra's stuff. Check out all of our guest stuff. I really enjoy the stuff that they do. Um, and so, yeah, I guess um, I guess now that we're done here, uh, Lum, you want to go ahead and go on to community shoutouts? 
Yeah, I think it's time for us to break out the space-time continuum of this podcast and head out back into the real world, or at least uh, just you and I together to close off the show. Thanks once again to both uh, Kendra and Luke for coming on the show. Uh, if we haven't already said it enough, if you're a fan of My Hero Academia like the rest of us, uh, and you somehow haven't listened to either of their podcasts about it, please go listen to their shows. Um, uh, just go listen if you're a fan of My Hero Academia. Go listen to both the My Hero Academia podcast, hosted by Kendra, as well as the Hero Notes podcast, hosted by Luke and Mark. Uh, we're a fan of both shows. And yeah, uh, there, there is no shortage of my Hero Academia podcasts out there on the internet. If you want to listen to more people talk about the series, I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there. But so yeah, I think we can go into community shoutouts, and I'm going to go ahead and start off once again uh, to talk about Shonen Flop. Uh, we have been talking about them for the past few podcasts since they've also done podcast episodes on both Omagatoki Zoo and Barrage. Um, but this time, I really want to shout out their latest episode that they did on Build King in particular. Uh, for those who don't know, Build King uh, was a manga uh, that ran for about 20 chapters in Shonen Jump uh, recently, written and illustrated by Mitsutoshi Shimabukuro, author of Toriko, who, you know, we've mentioned on this podcast that along with Nobuhiro Watsuki, Mitsutoshi Shimabukuro is just not an author that we feel comfortable highlighting on the show anymore. So we're probably never going to do a Build King episode, and I'm sorry for all of those who were really wanting us to talk about it, but basically, if you if you want to hear a podcast about Build King and just, like, how terrible it is, just go listen to the Shonen Flop episode on it. I think they did a way better job talking about it and covering why it's so bad, way better than we ever could, quite honestly. Um, I, I think it's probably one of their funniest episodes and probably one of their most scathing episodes. Like, holy shit. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, it might possibly be the worst thing they covered on their show so far. But yeah, it was it was just so fun hearing them just like constantly shit on this the entire time they talked about it. Um, like uh, if you're if you're a fan of people taking apart, you know, shitty media in general, like just please go listen to this episode. And also, I would say good friend of the show, Derek, otherwise known as Great Big Sword, on Twitter, was also a guest star on this episode. Uh, you may recognize them from such podcasts as the Good Friends cast, and also Deal with the Devils and iShield 21 podcast, which I was also a guest on. Um, but yeah, it was just a good episode of Shonen Flop. Uh, I don't know. I I'm, I'm a little... I don't want to say anything bad about the podcast because I really do enjoy it, but I don't know how they're going to top themselves, quite honestly. I think they're going to have a hard time trying to find something as bad or worse than Build King because just obviously I have not read Build King because I don't want to give Shibabukuro any of my money or any more money than I've already given him at this point, you know, reading Toriko back in the day and everything. But like, if you have not read Build King... Uh, but you don't want to read through 20 chapters of shit, um, just just go listen to Shonen Flop about it. I think they do a pretty good job covering why the series is so bad and, like, how it's basically incompetent in every way, shape, or form um, with, like, very, very small morsels of, like, stuff that might have been good but, like, just doesn't really hit the mark at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually thought it was a very good discussion 
again, of a thing that I'm never going to read and of a thing that we're never going to cover on the show uh, because of our stance. So basically, if you're sad because we're not going to cover Build King, Shonen Flop's got you. Just go listen to that episode and just go listen to Shonen Flop in general. We, we really like their podcast. Yeah, I mean, we've been recommending them at the end of each show for the past couple episodes. We really do enjoy their podcast. It's really fun and funny. It's a great spotlight of these canceled short-lived junk titles as we also often like to explore. So yeah, definitely check them out. Our great show and always a great time. If you listen to this podcast and think, man, I wish these guys would just cover more canceled Shonen Jump manga, Shonen Flops will fill that niche. Like, that's basically what all their show is. So if you want to hear more thoughts on more canceled manga, just go listen to them. Mm-hmm. Now, I also have some shout outs to mention. And on the subject of, you know, My Academia and superhero narratives and stories, my first shout I want to mention is Jonathan Emma's The Claremont Project, a channel he has where he explores Chris Claremont's run on the X-Men comics. I, you know, Chris Claremont was like the writer who really defined the X-Men with a lot of iconic storylines like the Dark Phoenix saga, you know, really made X-Men what it was. And, you know, Jonathan is like an academic and scholar. He like explores like Claremont's writing and works from that academic lens and has really a lot of great topic videos on his writing, like most pertinent to the subject of, you know, uh, MJ Smash and like parody and stuff. He has a great video on cultural parody in the X-Men, how Claremont would incorporate like parodic and humor in his storylines, even though, you know, he's also known for like, you know, some of his like more heavy, weighty thematic and stuff and character writing. Like there is also a lot of fun parody pop culture elements in his work. So that's a specific video that I think is a great spin off from this discussion. But in general, he's been doing a great job just exploring Claremont's work and different themes in it. And I really been enjoying this channel for a long time and kind of felt, hey, you know, MHA superheroes, X-Men, like perfect time to bring up the channel here. So definitely check it out if you are at all interested in the history of the X-Men and particularly Chris Claremont as a writer on it and what he brought and really made X-Men as what it is. And the great discussions on a lot of different uh, aspects, like his lectures that he like posts uh, online of like a discussion of like how Carol Danvers' character evolved and changed, you know, the Dark Phoenix saga, just a big like overview of of it as a whole. Like those are f- as absolutely fantastic discussions of the material. So yeah, definitely check that out. Now for a discussion of a parodic series uh, in the vein of MJ Smash, I really enjoyed uh, CR Familiar Faces uh, video on MODOK, which I watched when it came out. It's a great funny show. Patton Oswalt's great as MODOK. It's like fun to have like kind of adult animated take on you know, Marvel characters. So I, I really enjoyed this one. They did Modoc. And I think, you know, CR did a great job discussing the show and discussing like kind of uh, how surprisingly funny it was. And, you know, the success of like the characterizations of different family members and Modoc as a character. Also, you know, discussing how the stop motion in the show itself was done and picking apart some details that like I also took for granted, like how like a lot of the mouth charts for the characters clearly they must be done in post and like with computer animation whereas 
some characters like Modok, though, it's very obvious it was just done with, like, different, you know, mounts made for the stop motion that they just, like, uh, detached and put on with different builds of the characters. So, yeah, I think they did a great job, like, noticing some new nonsense and critiquing the animation as well as, like, just the the writing and the character work in it. And, yeah, I really enjoy the show, and I really enjoyed CR's video on the show. And I also on the subject of, like, comedy parody type shows, I really thought his video on the new Animaniacs, which is a more recent video of his, was really really great at you know discussing like what he thought worked about it what he did didn't work about it i agree with a lot of his praises and criticisms like in terms of like the absence of like older characters being a real drag how some segments are a little more hiddenness and stuff like that probably my biggest thing i disagree with him is that i, I really did like the pinky and brain episodes generally over the mourners ones where he is the opposite he likes the mourners over the pinky and brains but overall i think he did a good job like kind of discussing the show and what it's working about it what didn't quite work about it and comparing it to the original so that was a great video in addition related to that animaniacs uh 2021 i thought that his video exploring hello nurse and uh, his familiar faces episode on that was a really good one because that's a character you kind of take for granted associated with animaniacs but truthfully as like cr found and showed like that timeline compilation that he's just made on his uh premiere file ever like hello nurse if you like collect the amount of actual screen time she has in animates is like only like 19 minutes work like less than a full episode's worth and if you actually look at the episode she appears in like she doesn't get a whole lot to do in terms of characterization really so what complaints about her as a new show in particular Especially in uh, other, when you compare it to another notable absent of like a character who seemingly was removed because they were considered perhaps too sexist for modern day, like Miss Bellum and the new Powerpuff Girls. Like in comparison to that, where Miss Bellum was an actual character whose removal like changed fundamental dynamics of the show and was a huge loss because she was her own character with agency in that show that the the new creators of that new Powerpuff Girls kind of completely missed. With Hello Nurse, it really was just the one joke of the Warner Brothers just you know, slobbering all over her. Like, and of course, obviously her name is just like the joke of like catcalling and whatnot. And like, she, like, SCR Explorers, like, she does get a little more of a personality in later episodes and stuff like that, where they try seemingly to correct their issue and try to portray her as maybe smarter and try and do more but they it's really not enough because ultimately like collectively actually doesn't actually appear that much in the show like cr notes that there are like like long stretches of episodes where she just does not appear in like dozens and dozens of episodes so another really good uh, you know look back at the character that i think a lot of people would remember like as being more of a part of anime next than she really was and also discussing what maybe does not hold up about that character so in general i love familiar faces uh videos because they do a great job of like just looking at kind of more obscure or minor characters in shows and tracking like their history in the show and media and i thought you know this hello nurse one was another great example of that and since i haven't brought up cr much uh, on the community shout outs segment of the show a lot i definitely wanted to shout out just a couple recent videos of this that uh, i've really been enjoying now on the subject of kind of like a more traditional western animation and the wing of animation you know kind of 
more gag focused shows. Uh, I really wanted to also shout out like a independent animation that I really enjoyed from a uh, creator of following kind of a, a acquaintance of mine, Charles Brewbreaker from Small Book Studios. You know, I've been following his comics for a long time, you know, well, both part of the animation relation community. And, you know, that's where I first encountered his work. And then also, you know, he did like, uh, you know, some scholarly work with J- Jerry Beck. That I follow, but yeah, I've been following these comics for a long time. He's Katarina Puzzy Princess and Ask a Cat, and you know, uh, he recently was able to produce like a full, like, animated pilot for Katarina Fuzzy Princess, like, as a, a cartoon. And it was really great to see the characters in motion, fully voice acted. It really came out really well, the animation and just the thing. And it made me like, oh man, this is such a cool translation of the comics in the world. And I, I would love to see this as a real show. I love uh, Charles's style. It's like very, you know, kind of a Peanuts and Rocking Bull Winkle-esque. So it's a real nice throwback to that kind of style of humor. And it's a lot of fun, really likable characters. Like, great creative premise of, like, this a princess, like, cat from a faraway land. You can, you, like, use her tail to transform into, like, different, like, instruments and objects. And it's just a really fun time. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed Charles's comics. And I thought this, like, Aaron pilot was super good. So definitely check that out. And also, Charles, of course, has, like, been heading up the reanimate of Chargeman Ken that I'm also participating in. So look forward to that when that comes out too, which will be a little bit longer. But yeah, check out uh, Charles's YouTube channel, Small Book Studio, for this pilot and all other animations he's made based on his comics, because they're really, really great. And now finally, I'm going to close out the shout outs uh, with two articles from Adding From that I think uh, relate to topics uh, regarding image Smash. Uh, one is a recent piece called Curing Up or Dressing Up on uh, Female Fighter Equipment uh, by Review and I'm basically discussing the idea of bikini armor, boob arch, female bikinis. Basically, this idea of sexualized, scantily clad uh, clothing and battle wear that is often seen in media and how it's kind of been taken for granted. It, how it really is just an excuse for sexualization. We see this in MAJ a lot, notably with like Momo or Midnight and stuff, and it's like a topic that's made a joke of in MAJ Smash, which is why I thought to bring it, this article up here. But yeah, it is like a big double standard in how like male characters will be depicted when they are in battle, whereas female characters are, and how oftentimes it really is the only logic behind the way a lot of women are dressed in a lot of these uh, male-aimed action series is just to be ogled at, just, you know, as a, a sexual fantasy, which is really disappointing pointing kind of really you know very sexist and gross so yeah it's something to be very critical of and uh, keep an eye out for and yeah point out a criticize and i think the article did a good job outlining different examples and outlining the ridiculousness of a lot of aesthetic choices like how heels are often a common wear for a lot of women in these action series when heels are like the worst like type of footwear to wear if you want to, you know, do anything action-y in uh, and stuff like that. So it's a good piece outlining that topic that was made a joke of the energy stuff, but it's like a, a real issue wordy of criticizing media. And similarly, as far as uh, issues were criticizing media, I thought the recent piece from Lucas Royer on uh, Anime Feminists 
on, you know, propaganda in anime manga was a really fantastic piece. And Lucas, like, basically goes into kind of the history of what propaganda is, basically media that is meant to, like, portray police as an institution as, like, amiable and friendly and working for the good of the public while obfuscating kind of the systemic corruption that is inherent and endemic to the system and to them as an organization and structure. So basically trying to present police as an organization to the public as, hey, you know, they are the good guys and criminals are the bad guys and deserve the harsh punishment and violence that they receive, which when is an idea propagated enough and popularized and ingrained enough in consciousness, uh, then you see like kind of the rampant abuse of authority that the police are allowed to permit and how the public oftentimes will let them get away with it because of this uh, ingrained belief that, oh, the police are the arbiters of justice and they are meant to uphold the law and oftentimes the whose justice they're upholding is for a very specific class and oftentimes they are infringing on the, the rights of the marginalized. And this piece does a good job, like, outlining the history of, like, cop-friendly apostatizing shows on uh, American television, Western media, and then, you know, tracks it in Japanese media, and specifically in the lens of manga and anime, too. Like, very notably pointing out several very recent uh, Jump series in particular that, you know portray the police in kind of a not just a positive life but like the use of their authority oftentimes uh, abuse of their authority also as justified and necessary notably in series like Harlow Cop and Dolphin and uh, Tokyo Shinobi Saw but also of course and related to MHA they do discuss how MHA also falls very short in this point way in like failing to critique the hero organization in the series is basically just a more glorified and popularized police force uh, that is also great with capitalistic ideas of like agencies and celebrity culture and all that way and how MHA ultimately kind of drops the ball like not ultimately criticizing and crushing the system and, you know, how effective it is as a policing institution ultimately saying, hey, you know, even though there is corruption in this, even though there are bad actors, ultimately uh, more good heroes will balance things out. And so the system is inherently good. It just needs to be more good people in it. Which is a very false idea. Uh, not, you can't really fix a, a broken ladder like that. We're just trying to put more things on top of it if, like, uh, the pieces are already broken. So, yeah, like, it does a good job of critiquing that element of how the series falls person that aspect of the commentary and also, of course, you know, the whole... It's just in a paragraph mentioning the Endeavor thing and how it's, like, you know, not super great that it, you know, it's trying to have a sympathetic look on, like, a person of authority who, like, abuses family when, you know, historically and, uh, Cops are more likely to commit and face less repercussions for domestic abuse than other groups of people. So, yeah, worthy things criticized. And, you know, they also point out there are series that challenge the authority of the state and challenge policing as an institution. And it brings up one piece as a, a series that is very highly critical of, like, this massive organized government that is imposes its wills through like military force and violence uh so there are cop prickled kyles in the landscape but 
because like this idea of cop media like cop shows as a concept like stories about police are just so popular so ingrained as a as a piece of popular culture it just is an easy mechanism to just create this perception of police as oh this is a institution with good just good actors out to support the public when you know there are a lot of problems to the system worldwide and it is a hotbed for corruption and for infringing on actual people's rights as we've seen time and time again and it is a system really worth criticizing and worth being wary of when you see unquestionably like just portrayed as like a force of good in media so i thought this piece was a really good exploration of the history of copaganda and also spotlighting a lot of different examples of where it shows up in anime and manga and yeah just being aware of this and just keeping an eye out for this and being critical when we see it so yeah i thought that was a Good piece also related, of course, to Chase since it was brought up within the context of the article. And yeah, that does it for my shout outs for this episode. Uh, last of the show over and check out. But I think for now that wraps us up and we'll head up into our wrap up and let you know where to find us. Mm-hmm. Just to put it out there real quick, because uh, I kind of hint- hinted it at the top of the show, but uh we're gonna we're gonna try to do another sort of themed month uh, next month in October. We're gonna try to cover some uh, some some uh, some horror related slash spooky related manga for the month of October because it's Halloween and I kind of like celebrating Halloween. So uh, yeah, it's not gonna start right away because uh, we have a lot of news and a lot of cyber pubs to get to first. But mm-hmm. uh, eventually, <laughs> kind of uh, about halfway into October, we'll start uh, we'll start talking about some uh, some pretty classic spooky manga. So uh, look out for some of those episodes. I'm really looking forward to recording those. So uh, yeah, very excited for those. We'll 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 have more info as we kind of like get closer to when we're gonna release those. But uh, for now. I guess we'll talk about where people can find us. Lum, where can the people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter. It's Lum Ramayasha. A variety of places like Amish Revelation and Analyst. Twitter is Lum Ramayasha. That's you can find me. You can also read my reviews at on-comer.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews coming out. So look forward to more on there. That's also you can find the other podcasts I do independently, including my outside movies, the show where we talk about anime movies, and hashtag Lum Squad. A Yurse Yatsura Focus podcast, where I do with a good friend Andrew A.C. Yurse where we discover the wonderful and wacky world of Gunkar Kakashi's classic manga, Yurse Yatsura. We are having a lot of fun keeping up with releases of the manga, as well as covering the movies now that they're on Country Roll. So look forward to more episodes of that on there. You can also find episodes up early on the Mind Regrets Patreon, patreon.com slash manga, if you want to get a taste of them earlier before the public release. And you can also, if you enjoy the art I make for this show, the art I make for the podcast I do, and the art illustrations, animations I make in general, you can find all that stuff on my Instagram and Set artworks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of other podcasts on the side besides this one, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com, where I have a page dedicated to basically whatever podcast I'm doing at the moment, uh, including podcasts that I've since uh, stopped production on even, or even uh, even some of the guest spots I've had on uh, a bunch of different shows over the years. Uh, I try to keep that as up-to-date as possible. And basically, yeah, if you're interested in any other podcast stuff that I do, basically, 
uh, you want to go to, again, my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all my other stuff. But as for manga mavericks and all comic, uh, you can find every episode of this podcast on allcomic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, uh, you basically have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast early before we put them up on our main feed. Uh, basically, depending on our schedules and everything, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited early, but we're not ready to put it up on our main feed yet, we'll put it up on our Patreon first. Uh, but like I said, that does depend on our schedules and uh, when we're able to uh, get certain things edited and done and everything. So it, it all really depends. So, you know, if, if you want like a more regular stream of content, you want to go sign up for our $5 tier where we post at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. And uh, the latest one that should be out is the first part of our regular miniseries entitled The History of Manga Magazines where we invite our good friend Maxi Bernard of Friendship After Victory to basically talk about a bunch of different manga magazines. In that first installment, we talk a lot about a bunch of different shonen magazines in particular, uh, such as the big ones like Weekly Shonen Jump, Weekly Shonen Magazine, Weekly Shonen Sunday. Uh, we also talk a lot about other magazines like Jump Square in particular. And just we, we, we cover a whole lot of ground on that episode, and eventually we will uh, talk about more magazines uh, listed in Maxi's uh, Manga Magazine Twitter thread that we basically are basing this miniseries off of. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in that, and basically whatever else we've recorded over the past like two years or so, that's all at the $5 tier. And basically, yeah, you want to go uh, you want to go find that over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where basically any support you throw our way is greatly appreciated. It really helps to keep the lights on and everything helps us keep up the keep the podcast online. And it helps gives us the resources to be able to do cool stuff like this. So yeah, again, uh, we really appreciate any patronage and support you're able to throw your way over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, but as for everything else, you can find us on facebook.com slash alt.comic or on twitter.com slash alt.comic underscore. But if you want to follow manga mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we upload different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Um, again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on My Hero Academia Smash or any just any thoughts on My Hero Academia in general? We love talking about it. Uh, or do you have any thoughts on just manga in general? What do you what are you reading? What do you, what do you want to hear us talk about? Anything on the podcast? You know, just anything in general. Well, we love getting emails and we love reading them on the show. So you can send those our way at mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Because let's face it, we're on a bunch of different platforms at this point. Um, but especially on Apple Podcasts, if you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show and helps us get out there to more listeners. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys because whatever feedback you send us, uh, positive or negative, we uh, we will use that to basically make the show that much better. Um, but yeah, that's going to be about it for the show. This has been episode 175 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode 176. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.